Welcome to the Marshall Pruitt Podcast and your week in IndyCar listener Q&A part two. We ended part one with a little note, an admission that I was lying, said that I was going to continue what I started to record Monday and keep going and that ended up getting broken off into a part one. Here I am Wednesday at 5.52 p.m. The sun has gone down thanks to daylight savings. And I've got about two hours, maybe, maybe, to get the rest of your questions, as many as I can, done. I have permission from Mrs. Pruitt to rock this out tonight. So, going to do that. And then it's time for dinner with my lady. Ooh, still, still enjoying the process of trying to grasp the seismic movement, seismic changes, ripples, just, yeah. Ooh, <laughs> me not word talk good while think of Penske by racing Indianapolis motor uh, track car indie thing. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah, I have spent some time today which is actually our first day home this week monday we were busy with physical therapies you might have heard me mention on the part one yesterday my amazing wife all totaled i think we were out the door from 9 30 ish 9 40 in the morning and got back at i don't know five ish five something 5 30 at a, a super marathon chemotherapy day uh, those come every couple weeks and so yeah yesterday was a long one was able to connect with our pal sebastian bourdais and also another pal pato award and speak with them actually while just sitting at the chemo session a lot of that is honestly just sitting and so got some downloads from them on the aero screen test final one that indycar has planned that went down at sebring so got that and now today with a little bit of call it seat time in the office been able to get on the phone and capture some deeper thoughts about this penske acquisition of indycar and ims from michael andretti chip ganassi i already have the one with bobby rahal from his visit for our guest episode the guest driven listener driven weekend indycar show that went up today and also just recently spoke with michael shank so i'm hoping to connect with one or two chevy powered team owners to add them into the rotation that always trying to look for some sort of balance representing the honda and chevy camps this one getting reactions a little bit hard because there aren't a lot of there aren't as many chevy powered teams Penske is often the go-to there. Uh, getting Roger Penske's reaction on his buying things and how that might change the sport. Well, yeah, we've already kind of done that. Um, after that, who do we go to in terms of strength and performance? Well, that would be Ed Carpenter Racing. And I don't know if Ed would want to delve into how his stepfather his family selling the family just their version of mecca 
I'm not really sure if Ed's going to be super keen on talking about, hey, you know, now that my stepfather is no longer there and my family no, no longer runs it and owns it, let me tell you the ways how I think it might improve. Uh, yeah, that might be a hard request there. So after that, we have AJ Foyt reached out to Larry Foyt, waiting to hear back from Larry since he really does manage the day-to-day. I've also reached out to our pals at Spam, Arrow McLaren SP, since they are in the Chevy camp now. See if we can get a response from them, some thoughts. And I will drop Trevor Carlin a note in the morning and see if good old Trevi Trev, and we're, I'm thinking full-time team owners, or almost full-time team owners. We're expecting to hear Michael Shank will be just that confirmed here very uh, very soon. We're on the clock. Um, yeah, so trying to put that together. I already heard some really interesting, interesting things from Chip, from Michael, from Mike, and from Bobby. And so I want to gather a few more. Going to package those into a single podcast and going to spin that out into some form of words as well. So got that on the, the little back burner. And other than that, we already named who won this week's torontomotorsports.com gift pack of MP podcast goodies. So take care of that business. So really all we need to do is just extend our super extra quadruple. Thanks to Cooper tires and to the justice brothers, to those wacky North of the borderians, Toronto motorsports. And also the folks that keep our craniums functioning bell racing helmets, USA and good old speedway. Indiana. I have consumed a small amount of coffee. My wife, because she's amazing, ordered more than the usual espresso roast, ordered some form of chocolate peppermint flavored coffee, and it's quite good. So I'm going to get hopped up on that, and then we're going to jump right into your questions starting now. Twitter is going to be where we start the party. Let's go to Darren Wicken. Has IndyCar announced a spring training location? Last year at Coda, the access to the teams and drivers was great. I enjoyed it more than the race weekend. Online, the only info I can find is the Road to Indy series in Miami, Homestead, but it doesn't mention IndyCar. From what I know, Darren, we are going back. Not going back to Cali, going back to Coda. To Coda. Going back to Coda. Uh, same, I believe, general time frame. Uh, first-ish weekend in February. Let me see if I can pull up a calendar here. Again, if I was really good at my job here, I would have all this prepared ahead of time. But you know what? Freewheeling. It's kind of the thing. Uh, yeah, so not, I guess, technically the first weekend, which starts on the first, Saturday. I believe we are somewhere around the following week. I don't have it in front of me exactly, Darren, but I do believe uh, having seen whatever it is that I saw, it stuck in my head that once the Rolex 24 is over, uh, Daytona, we've got 10 days or so, or whatever the exact number is. But yeah, uh, I believe in around the second week or so, of February at Coda. So I think uh, you're going to have more good fun there, and let's hope the weather holds. Question here from Mike Stoops. Says there's a report that Honda's looking at NASCAR, which would mean a departure from IndyCar. Also IMSA, Mike. If Honda goes and a third manufacturer is not found, what's next? 
And what good is Chevy? Uh, and how tied are they to Roger Penske? They seem to be in because of RP, and they don't activate. Uh, I wouldn't say that, Mike. I would say that they have activated in a variety of ways, more some years than others. Uh, so good stuff here. Yeah, read that. Uh, the quotes from former Honda performance development boss, Art St. Cyr, who's moved on to a, a senior position in uh, American Honda. Yeah. Uh, I would be very surprised if that is what they did. The culture with an HPD. Not saying it's road racing only. Also realize that IndyCar is not strictly road racing. Just you know, we, it hasn't been a uh, vast oval centric series for quite some time. But knowing that this is a hardcore road racing company, I would say that having to shut down all their other major racing endeavors and refocusing HPD on going around in circles in NASCAR, I'm sure for some who've been there for many, many years, uh, probably staring at potential retirement in the next however many years, they would certainly stay. Company men, company women. I would say for the rest, or a decent number of the rest, Mike, this would be something that led them to seek employment elsewhere. That's not meant to be a critical thing of NASCAR. It's meant to be a recognition that many jobs in NASCAR are available within Ford, Chevrolet, and Toyota. Plus, pick all the other vendors involved, teams involved. If the fine folks working at Honda Performance Development wanted to be involved in NASCAR, they would be there now. And since they aren't, I would say that that should be recognized so a a huge shift getting out of IndyCar getting out of IMSA having to put all their money all their resources turn HPD into a NASCAR engine and chassis mill yeah I don't know how much of the current talent stays and I don't know how much well I guess we'd have to see how much Honda might want to spend if they were to do this Obviously, there's the, well, there's a lot of talented folks at the three manufacturers who are there. In theory, some of them could certainly be uh, acquired to help Honda. But, yeah, I, I, hmm. From a strategic standpoint, I could understand why Art, who I always enjoyed at HPD, but was the first one to admit he wasn't a racer. Uh, I can understand why he, not really having a, a, a racing background or that not being his thing, I can understand why he might look at NASCAR and say, ooh, that could be an interesting change for us because maybe there's market saturation in all the other things that we do. Maybe we've gotten as much in terms of vehicle sales, promotion, awareness, technical training maybe we've gotten as much out of indycar and imsa as we can in the next couple of years and maybe we should go to nascar i could see how he might think that i think the backlash to it from loyal honda 
slash Acura. Just again, call it road racing fans spanning IMSA and IndyCar. I think they might be surprised. And we'd have to see some intriguing numbers, Mike, to prove that such a move generated a lot of sales that weren't coming beforehand. Last thing I'll mention on this front, and again, we would have to see what they chose to do. Uh, it, it sounds like something Art would come up with as something to explore. I don't know if the mothership in Japan would give it its blessing, if their blessing was even needed. But timing-wise, oh, uh, <laughs> Just just saying here, uh, I know IndyCar's ratings sure could be better, and everything about IndyCar in terms of return on investment could be better. Same exact statement applies to IMSA. NASCAR, compared to those two, far more successful in terms of how many people turn up to races, television ratings, and so on. But I'd say that of the three, there's one that has been on a really steady decline, not pointing in the right direction. So any thought that it might be the time to get into NASCAR? Okay. Uh, You sure this statement wasn't made, uh, I don't know, 15 years ago? While using a time machine, maybe before you're even in that position? I don't know. I just, that's the part I struggle with most, Mike. Won't pretend that IndyCar or IMSA is just skyrocketing sales, as I try and speak words from my face yet again. Not pretending like the series that they are in right now, just it's the sole reason for their profitability. Not even close. But it fits. It's them. It's who they are. If they were to make such a drastic change in strategy, I would just hope on the road to decision-making as to whether to go forward or not, someone would raise their hand and say, so see how the downward trend on every metric is is associated with where you're telling us to go? <sighs> I, I Yeah, this isn't the... St- stock market where you want to buy low and sell high you're coming in after its value has been more or less depleted or is on a continual road to depletion i don't know if i see anything that makes me believe nascar is going to rebound oh it's coming back you hear about the cost reductions and all that that's great that that's certainly great just look at the grandstands at a lot of places and it, it, it's concerning it's definitely concerning also would say that with where they're trying to go with hybrids and some other stuff it's not like indycar's done itself any favors with some of its most loyal fans with the arrow screen we we've certainly read a lot of reactions oh, i'm done i don't like it it's ugly whatever we'll see how that results what that pans out in terms of attendance if there's any decline just by folks looking at the thing saying ah nope i'm out 
I would just say if we're trying to use that same theory to NASCAR, not necessarily on the visuals, but you're going to go low power and hybrid in terms of audience. I don't know who's at, who who's really craving to turn up and watch that. So, boy, I hope Honda does not do this. That's a super obvious statement. I hope they stay where they are. I realize that the audience is not as big, but this just seems to fit who they are. Uh, when I think of Soichiro Honda, the founder, and what I see whether it's in their Formula One program, in IndyCar with their engines, in IMSA with their DPI, their second-tier involvement in IMSA in the training series, one step below the WeatherTech Championship, with their Honda Civic TCR, with a variety of grassroots initiatives. Not saying that's all they can ever be. I, I just don't know if I can find a way where Honda goes NASCAR ever fits as for the chevy and how good and how tight are they to rp i'd say very don't know if i would say they're in because of roger but if honda were to leave it does concern me do i believe that ilmore could become the sole supplier if needed yes i just i don't know how long chevrolet would stay involved uh, Ilmore as a direct supplier, just strictly for pay, brandless, could see that happening. Been a fear though, Mike, for sure. And whether it's Honda going someplace or leaving, Chevy going someplace or leaving, Roger Penske's magic and hopefully attracting another manufacturer, boy, that's something we need to hear about. ASAP. Let's go to my favorite question this week, and it's just because I'm guessing some sort of voice to text was used or spell check attacked our man Chris Alfby, who says, Bob, how is it running two corn coding programs in IndyCar and IMSA? I don't know. I'm trying to figure out what you meant to say two competing programs to but the coding of corn that's with a c not a p by the way two corn coding programs that it's just a gem i love that right there so thank you chris maybe obviously that was for bob we're already done with that episode but next time he comes around don't be afraid to send that back in maybe leave it the same maybe i'll figure it out by then Let's go to, where else shall we go? Tim Vaughn, thank you. I love sarcasm. How does IndyCar plan to stay in the news during the long, boring offseason with nothing to talk about? So, honest admission here. Most of you hopefully know I'm a glass half full guy. I, I While I say I worry about things, yeah, they are concerns, those things that do visit me that way but i'm not the worrying type so it's a little thing that sits somewhere in my subconscious perks up whatever wherever for a brief period but i'm not the guy who's sitting here lingering on things believing that 
you know, everything's trying to attack, fall apart, or whatever. Pretty happy, positive guy. We'll readily admit, though, I did have a thought today at some point. Kind of afraid to wake up Monday morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, this was a, a right old kick in the balls with the Penske announcement. All, again, all that's awesome. It's just, I woke up. So, I woke up Monday morning. I went to bed Sunday night. Woke up Monday morning with every intent on writing a story about a team that's hired a new race engineer and was pretty pleased with myself. Like, oh, this is going to be a good, this is going to be a good little piece of information because this is for the scenario going on. It's going to be, a, it's going to kick some things off here. Yeah. Uh, Wednesday at 6.17 and I still haven't put down the first word on it because you want to talk about trivial by comparison so yeah and then what the week before we had the uh, Aero McLaren SP stuff kicking off on Monday so yeah I'm vaguely concerned about what the third Monday in a row is going to hold for news because next week uh, we're actually gone the first four days of the week with fairly long appointments on a variety of things so Friday <laughs> will be the first day where I might be able to buckle in and do some real work. So, anyways, uh, let's see. Let's go to Windy Car. Had a couple folks ask this in some way or form. Why does Roger Penske keep saying IRL, talking about the deal and the future? And I know I mentioned this in the part one of Roger coming into things having been on the opposing side, cart side, for so long. One of the little items here, the reason I, I'm wanting to bring this into the second show here, a little bit of cleanup goes on, at least on our side of the sport, the media side. If we just went straight to print with everything that everybody said without correcting errors and polishing up mistakes uh it'd be a pretty interesting reading experience and that's not pointing anything negative or critical at those that i or others interview i have to clean up the crap that comes out of my mouth (laughs) on a daily basis it's just normal so in situations like this while interviewing Roger, it's not uncommon for him to refer to the Verizon IndyCar series, NTT IndyCar series, the whatever IndyCar series, as the IRL. And knowing that while he did technically say the acronym IRL, Indy Racing League, there's no value in continuing to present that in a story. So it normally just gets transitioned into IndyCar because that's what he's referring to. Then there's also the fairly basic concept of he's talking about the same thing. You can change the name. It doesn't change the fact 
that it is still the same entity that he's talking about. So I love the fact that so many people were caught out a little bit saying, hey, why is the guy who just bought the thing, why is he using a 14 or 15-year-old term? Well, yeah, you know, it's his. He'll say whatever he wants. And for the most part, he's been saying it forever. And it's just been replaced with the correct term of whatever the thing's been called. And there you go. So maybe there's a little behind-the-scenes thing. Here's another thing, too, just while we're sharing. And by we, I mean me. With the drivers, not so much team owners, but more drivers, that you, you get to know well. Ones where you have a, a personal relationship in addition to the professional one. Interviews can be complicated because of the shorthand that exists. And also, frankly, the guard being let down. So there's a bit of taking care of some folks when it's time to publish an interview. And I've gotten calls when I haven't done as good of a job as I should. For example, I won't mention the driver's name, but there's one driver that I'm pretty good friends with. And when we do interviews, he makes no attempts to censor himself. It's not because he's being an unsavory character. It's not because he lacks the verbiage to avoid cursing or saying things that are off color or blue. I don't mean, you know, saying negative things about race, women, religion. I just mean... You know, stuff you might hear spoken at a bar more than on pit lane. And that's done because there's trust that instead of having to think about every word and make sure that you don't misspeak in any way, just say what you got to say. And although it's really never spoken, hey, please, you clean that up. It's just known. All right, hey. Just going to talk here, give some thoughts, share whatever I've got to say. And if there's 14 F-bombs and MFs and A's and B's and D's and whatever, it's just a knowledge that when it comes time to use that in print, the informal dialogue that produced the interview will be presented in a professional manner. Obviously, that same driver speaking into a microphone on camera or otherwise would not speak in such an informal manner but that's another thing so just a little bit of fun there uh and there have been times where through shoddy editing back in the day when i used to post my own content haven't done that for years by the way um would maybe not catch something or due to that familiarity with the person would not think would read the words and it would all just sound normal instead of, oh, wait, no, 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 wait, 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 wait. That, you know, person's guard is down. Oh, man, and I'll get a call like, what in the UF and bleep and such and said Like, oh, my, and you feel horrible. So when Roger says IRL, and I expect Roger to say IRL forever, uh, yeah, nothing new, just maybe the... uh 
The old sheets are pulled back on that one. Let's go to James Bethay says, just a general one for you, Marshall, during the CART Texas 600, that being the event, what, 2002, I think, three, where the CART IndyCar series went to Texas and had to cancel the race because the cars were too fast. Too fast how? Drivers blacking out. Uh, actually losing some motor skills because of the extreme and continual G's whipping around the circuit, uh, the oval. Uh, James says, could the race have been saved if they decided to try and put road course wings on the cars or were they simply too fast for the track and ended up being just like the old shit show that happened at Las Vegas in 2011? In downforce, the more downforce you apply, if we're talking the road course wings, James, those already generate lots of downforce. They also generate lots of drag. Both of those things would have certainly slowed the cars down. What I don't know, this is ignorance. When I say I don't know, I mean I truly don't know. If we think about an average cart era, early 2000s, Lola or Renard, and the, we'll just, I know that, there are multiple manufacturers there still, but let's just say Cosworth. That Cosworth Turbo V8, 2.65 liters, making whatever the number was, 800, 900 horsepower. Toyota was still there, but again, we'll just say these turbocharged V8s making eight, 900 horsepower, maybe even more if needed. Honda as well. Um, these things would reach insane speeds everywhere. We're talking road courses. They'd still put up big numbers. All that power would help them to pull that downforce and drag through the air. Corner at rather amazing speeds, but still hit big numbers at the end of the straights. But the period of time, James, where those wings were under maximum load, somewhat limited in that road course scenario. What I don't know is what kind of speeds we would be talking about in terms of a reduction if they'd applied the road course wings for Texas Motor Speedway. I would assume it'd still be 200 plus. And so that's where my question mark comes in. Would these wings that, while they generate down crazy downforce and are very strong, really are only put into that peak downforce scenario for limited periods each lap on a road course, how would they react? How would they hold up at sustained maximum downloading? Whatever it is, if we're talking that 200 plus miles an hour, being at that 200 lap after lap after lap, I just don't know if those wings would have held up, if they were designed to do so. Uh, so that's where I think just bolting them on, you know, say the, the morning of or that afternoon when things started to stand out as problematic. I don't know if that really would have been the easy scenario to keep that event on track. Let's see. Go to T- Todd Thorson. Could be Thorson. Apologize if I got that wrong, Todd. General question. Do you see possible additional acquisitions in Penske Entertainment's future? SMI, maybe. That would be uh, the other, call it the K 
counter to the ISC track company owned by NASCAR. That would be Humpy Wheeler's SMI uh, among the ovals used by NASCAR, the Sonoma Raceway. Quote, Sears Point is under their ownership. So Todd asked, do you think might go after something like that? Also, do you feel this change may entice Ford to join as a third manufacturer? And someone else asked this today, Todd. Makes me wonder if this is floating around as a, a genuine rumor on the what other big things might Penske go after and try and buy. Time will tell whether this thought holds any water, but knowing that the Holman George family went to him and realized they asked him to buy, this wasn't a, hey man, you want to buy a used car. This is a big thing. Hey, do you want to buy this? But effectively, we're asking, do you want to take control and protect and love and grow this thing that means everything to you in our absence? I mean, this was the question that was posed was presented to the perfect recipient. There's no one else who's better positioned to be asked that question to not only say yes, but then do all the things the family hoped. This is the most unique and specific situation. I think that leads to knowing that Penske Motorsports, Todd, uh, the former track owning business that Roger had, that his son, Greg ran Greg, who will be a big part of what's going to go on here now. I don't know if Roger is in the way. Well, then let's buy it all. I just, again, to me, this is the very specific scenario that he was perfect for. I have seen nothing to make me believe he's now scratching his head, wondering what else he should go after. On the question about Ford, that is one. That that came to mind almost immediately, Todd. However many years ago at a press junket, um, what was the name of that old site? More Front Wing, I believe, asked, failing to recall whether it was Edsel Ford or whatever it was, William Ford, one of the Fords at a Ford press junket. Any interest in getting back into IndyCar? And the response was scathing. Just... The answer was so harsh and harshly negative, it spoke to some form of long-held open-wheel grudge. It would be strange. People usually don't have long-held grudges with inanimate objects. So safe to assume that that, paraphrasing, hell no, ain't happening ever type response came as a result of someone or some people that planted such a thing and or led Mr. Ford in that direction. I'm not saying that happened with the Holman George family. I just know that in this sale, Todd, Ford came to mind right away. Huh, whatever the grudge is, wherever it came from, I assume 
that it had something to do with the split, with treatment, with false promises, with I don't know what. Does the acquisition by Roger break that? Does it erase that? If that whatever that wound is or was, I don't think that's going away. But unless Roger is the one who truly somehow pissed off the Ford family in open wheel to lead them to say, nope, never screw them. My first thought was wonder if being under new ownership and also ownership that ding, ding, ding uses Ford's products in NASCAR. I wonder if Roger and his close relationship with the Ford family all while knowing how close he is to General Motors and Toyota and so many others through his dealerships, knowing that he is indeed the the co-founder, the funder of Ilmore Engineering and has a huge stake, really helped bring Chevy back to IndyCar in 2012. Realizing all of these things, I definitely had a thought of, ooh, wonder if RP could be the person to get Ford back in our game let's go to where do we go joshua barrett said with all the talk of bumpy racing surfaces that's referring to complaints made last weekend from f1 drivers at the coda event says recently i learned about the railway track at the 2005 san jose grand prix looks crazy what were the thoughts at the time how close was it to being canceled well having attended every round there since san jose is 20 minutes away 20 minutes south from us i can tell you this joshua i have been searching without success for the videotape that i shot when I got there Friday morning during the inaugural event, I was, I think, 2005. I just went as a fan. Uh, I was, wasn't was working and racing full-time then. This was between my leaving, working as an engineer and all, do all the crap that I did in IndyCar and whatnot, left at the end of 2001. It's a period then from 2002 through about early point of 2006 where I was working a 9-to-5, was doing a lot of fly-in stuff, managing racing teams, engineering and stuff, mostly kind of IMSA World Challenge, did some open wheel as well. But uh, when I heard about the San Jose Grand Prix, I thought, that's drastically random. I mean, San Jose has a population of just over one million people. That number itself, it's Most people would not know that San Jose is that big and sprawling and has so many people. So just in terms of bodies, you go, all right, well, actually, that's a big audience to be in front of. But then for those like myself, born and raised here in the Bay Area, the next thought would be, okay, so there's a lot of people that live there. Where the hell are you going to put a street circuit there? Because while being sprawling... Not a lot of real iconic places. San Jose, while being a town, (laughs) it's fairly nondescript. 
you could be in almost any part of it and not really know the difference between one section or the other. I mean, there's one area that's kind of tony and high end, and there's, you know, again, there's little pockets, but for the most part, if I'm thinking Bay Area, Berkeley, man, there's some places. San Francisco, obviously, even Oakland, and many, many places I could think to hold a street race in the Bay Area where the locale factored into the appeal. Long Beach, for example, you go, whoa, not only is it the perfect town, look, it's on the beach. Funny how that works out at Long Beach. San Jose, just, again, kind of a flat for the most part. Like, All right, so anyways, in hearing about it, it was like, okay, let's see what they come up with. And what did they come up with? They came up with, I guess, the inspiration for Robbie Gordon's stadium super trucks. <laughs> with the with railroad tracks running through the circuit at the end of the front straight and so that videotape I'm looking for and I hope I find was me just as a fan just wanting to see brought my little handheld I think Sony whatever camera with me and was standing directly behind on pit lane where the cars flashed past, made that left, and then went over the railroad tracks and those jumps, the jump, and the sound reverberating, pointing straight back at me and everyone else. There was just a group of folks that had assembled in this one area to watch from behind because we just could not fathom what we were actually witnessing of indie cars at unabated speed jumping through the air. And the sounds of these things leaping, wheel spin going mad and crashing back down. Phenomenal. So I hope I can find that video just to watch again, but also to extract the audio and drop that into a little ambient audio feature here. Um, Yeah, it was crazy. They did work to try and grind down and ease the transition leading up to the railroad tracks. Uh, I don't know if it ever became awesome. Uh, It was certainly, things were improved a bit the following year, but it was a, a, a really strange concession that had to be made. In order to do this at the circuit, we probably cannot destroy the bottom of our cars and bend things and break things. Um, Yeah. It was wacky, truly wacky, Joshua. I wish you could have been there. Uh, having wandered around the rest of the circuit, it wasn't super memorable. I mean, it it was, yeah, it was, it was fairly lame. Uh, came back the next year, actually had a magazine assignment from Car and Driver to feature the young, young and rising star that was A.J. Allmendinger. And so I spent the weekend embedded with the players' Forsyth team. He was being engineered by my old, super old pal, Michael Cannon. So that was quite nice. And yeah, so really enjoyed that. Tony Calderon, who some of you might know today as the producer of the racing documentary Gentleman Driver, which I believe is available on Netflix as well. Uh, Tony also team principal, manager, marketing, PR guy, many, many things. 
Uh, Tony was the PR man for Players Forsyth then, so had fun with him that weekend. And my old pal Rick, who I'd known from back in the day when he was the caterer at Hogan when I was there. Well, Rick was uh, the caterer at Players Forsyth, and he famously was the drummer for the rock band Blue Oyster Cult. So, anyways, um, yeah, all kinds of fun there, Joshua. Wish you could have been there. Hope I can find that silly videotape. Uh, let's see what else what else what else can we find I'm looking through Twitter by the way it says if either of you could choose an IndyCar doubleheader this coming in from the dude and money was a non-issue what would it be I'd vote MotoGP at Twin Ring Motegi bikes on the road course during the day and Indy on the oval under the lights or Indy and Australian supercars at Perth short road course under the lights. I don't remember who floated it. I don't think I did. I'm not that smart, but maybe I contributed some ideas to this uh, however long ago. Someone asked a similar question, maybe an identical one. I don't know. Might have been on my other week in sports cars show. It would involve temporary lighting, big overhead lighting. I want to go to Road America, and have an IndyCar IMSA doubleheader. For those of you that might be sports car fans, you might have heard the growing rumble and request for the IMSA race to be extended to at least four hours, if not more. Going back to what the endurance sports car races used to be. Long, real, buckle in, this is going to be a... Bring drinks, bring shade, bring food, bring everything. You're going to be here for a while, and we're going to have fun. I love the idea of some sort of combined IMSA and IndyCar. I like the idea of IndyCar having its race, maybe starting a little bit later in the afternoon, maybe kind of sort of finishing at dusk. Not crazy dark, but just something where nice low sun comes in. And then we move into maybe a four-hour IMSA race that starts more or less right after, maybe a half hour at most. So IndyCar can get their podium done, TV can do their interviews, since we have both IndyCar and IMSA on NBC, we're just having to allocate a few more people to do pit lane. More cars in IMSA tends to be uh, the situation there. Some more pit reporters and whatnot. Uh, probably give some of the folks in the booth a break. But I love the idea, and this might be less dramatic than your awesome MotoGP and IndyCar at Motegi. I like the idea of IndyCar doing its two-ish hour race, but starting late, finishing just as the sun's starting to get a little bit low, give it a half hour, then IMSA takes over for four hours. So just starts while the sun is still up just a little bit, but then into the night, 
Maybe this is a Saturday thing. Maybe it's a Sunday thing. Maybe the timing needs to be where Monday is a holiday. Whatever. Again, we're just making stuff up here, right? So it's all super easy. But the thing that I like most about the idea, which again, I believe one of my listeners presented, was counter course. So IndyCar, got it. You're going to go normal direction. We're going to see batshit speeds through the kink and all the normal stuff going the clockwise rotation around road america half hour after the checkered flag after indy cars cleared out we go imsa racing and they blast down the hill the opposite way and are going counter clockwise and that is our four-hour trip into darkness i think it'd be the best thing ever I there's part of me that thinks if we're just going to make up stuff like this, then you know what? There must be at least one bratwurst consumed at each pit stop by a driver, right? If we're talking IMSA, of course, knowing that they do driver rotations, but they'll tend to do multiple stints. You know, pit stop's going to take 35, 40 seconds on average. I want to see a wolf down a brat, man, and uh, get going, right? might make teams think twice about keeping the same driver in for two, three stints. You know, you pack down three or four brats, two or three brats, whatever. I mean, nature's going to call. There, there could be uh, <laughs> it could be yellow flags. There could be code browns. Who knows? I don't know. It stands out as an idea. I don't know if it's a good one, but that's what came to mind. All right. Uh, Peter Nutt, friend from Holland, says, MP, were you able to do the Max Verstappen interview? I was not, I was meant to fly down to L.A. last Wednesday for the F1 Live in Hollywood and was offered a spot to interview Peter's countryman, young countryman, the most polarizing Formula One driver in quite a while. trying to think of who's his equivalent in NASCAR. It's not Harvick, right? Uh, is it a Bush brother? I'm just trying to think contact and attitude, but yeah, I mean the Bushes. again, I could be wrong, but they don't strike me as whiny. Everyone's out to get me. And that's certainly part of Verstappen's thing at such a young age. I don't know. I need some help here. Who's, uh, who's NASCAR's version of Verstappen anyways was uh offered a window to interview him it was meant to be a really decent long interview so it's like yeah all right uh my wife signed off on that so i was gonna fly down fly back same day actually i was gonna fly out at i think 11 something out of san jose and would be back by four or so and so that was going to work out uh knowing that i am the you know primary and sole caretaker for my wife um, so that all sounded great and signed off on that the week before. And then we started having these fires really start to get close and power outages becoming a bigger issue. So needed to cancel the flight in order to be here in case there was a need and was hoping, uh, had inquired about, well, FaceTime works. Uh, if I can't be there in person and the slot is available, why don't we use telecommunications? And that was shot down. So didn't happen. I uh, hope it does. No disrespect to Max, because I think interviewing him would be 
it, that would be a blast because I have no idea how it would go. I think next year, come next year, I would probably ask to interview Alex Albon, his teammate, not knowing where Alex will be in terms of will he have a win by then? Will he be equal to Max in terms of speed? Again, I don't know. That kid seems like he is all kinds of awesome. Plus, in something that one of y'all forwarded me in a very recent interview, he mentioned Driven, my most loved, hated movie, Driven, as a movie that he both loves and hates the most, considers the best and worst racing movie ever. So, yeah, Albon, got to spend some time with that dude. Where are we going to go next? Where are we going to go next as we start to wind down on the tweeters? Uh-huh. Tony Blackburn. No, I got into this a little bit, but I'll dive in just a little bit more. Said, Tony George should not look like someone who wanted to sell. Was the Holman-George family just done with investing in the series? This has been the real intrigue that's followed... Our man Robin Miller is on the scene. Not really Tony specific, but the timing of the sale. Uh, one year and one day, I believe, after Mary Holman George passed. And that's a number that's hard to just dismiss. Uh, looking at how emotional Tony was not just on the live stream, but just, you know, you hear about uh, Mario Andretti was telling Robin, Robin relayed this today, how, you know, boy, you know, from all that he knows, Tony was really gutted about this sale. Do not believe this is going to sit well with him. And if I mention this next part in part one, I apologize. It's, it is a blur. Would not be surprised, as more than one person has said to me, if Roger, when he is finished assembling the Penske Entertainment Board that will oversee IndyCar and IMS, includes a seat for Tony. I, I think that would be, I was almost going to say humane. I did just say humane, but it just, yeah, this, this is the lion with a thorn in its paw waiting for someone to pull that painful thing out also have someone who <laughs> rightfully so made fun of me knowing that i think it was last week i mentioned someone asked hey you should have tony george on or talk about whatever and i mentioned yeah uh he, he that's not gonna happen uh mentioned that you know hey you were on the conference call. You had an opportunity to ask questions and you didn't ask Tony to be in the podcast. Yeah, it's a great point. I, uh, I kind of whiffed on that one. Another thing, and this is maybe just me being a little tired and cranky or an asshole. Maybe all rolled into one. I did find it interesting that, you know, there are a couple folks who asked questions that were, when you're presented with an opportunity, to sit in on such a thing or call into such a thing. I would think you would spend time polling yourself saying, all right, 
couple things I could ask. Which ones make sense? It was just fascinating to hear, I think the first or second question was wanting to know about the IMS Museum and how this is going to be done and how that and so on. While that was clearly important to the, I guess it was a reporter who asked that, it's just one of those things that A, level-wise, is somewhere around the 543rd level below Roger. What are your plans for the Speedway? What are your plans for IndyCar? What do you plan to do with the current management? What do you think about the rules package? Do you believe and run down? I mean, again, no disservice to the museum. This is just something that if you spend a moment putting yourself in Roger Penske's shoes, you would say at this press conference announcing this groundbreaking thing, is this something that would be on the forefront or the back front of this guy's mind? Absolutely not. So why in the hell would you pose a question in this important media opportunity that has no chance of getting an answer and is truly a sidebar among sidebars among sidebars? So, anyways, I would have loved to have asked Tony, Hey, Tone! Yeah, you really don't respond to requests for interviews, but since I got you here in, on the live stream, hey, you want to come on a podcast? I would have loved to have done that. If I had done that, you would have known that someone slipped some crack into my Cheerios. Uh, let's see. Do, 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 do. Where do we go as we wind up Twitter? Carlos Villalobos, thank you as always. Says, with Honda taking a look at NASCAR, if they go, how long before we go back to the old 2.65 liter Cosworth XFEs? Because Chevy will not stay alone. Covered a little bit of this, but I wanted to include this one from Carlos because that is another thought that I've had. And I don't know if Roger will agree or disagree. He would be the person, honestly, to drive this. We believe that due to Roger's vast connections in the auto industry, that IndyCar's ability to attract a third manufacturer will have a much greater chance of happening uh, than anything would have taken place prior to his purchase of things. If Honda were to leave and Chevy were to be the sole like you, Carlos, as I mentioned before, could Ilmore become the supply company? Possibly. I think Roger might lobby for that just from a business standpoint. I mean, as a co-owner of Ilmore, uh, granted, there might be some complaints about impartiality and conflicts and otherwise, but if I owned Ilmore and I own the series, or co-owned Ilmore, and we were in a sole supply situation and Chevy didn't want to put their name on it, I'd say, well, hey, uh, we can certainly keep doing the thing we've been doing just without that brand on the cam covers. Ilmore did that in, what, 1995? Yeah, 95, I think. Um, remember that very well. So 
it is a question for sure that in time, knowing it's going to take a little bit to work through some things, this is one of those questions that if we don't have a manufacturer announced at some point early in the new year, knowing that 2022 is when they're supposed to be on track, uh, you'd really want to be designing, announcing in 20 and designing and then on track testing throughout 21. Uh, yeah, this is something I'd love to pose to Roger in time because if by chance the rest of the stakeholders, that meaning team owners by and large and IndyCar said, all right, we do need a sole supply and nothing against Ilmore, but we're not going to have the guy who owns the series who co-owns, who also co-own our engine supplier. I could very well see a Cosworth being nominated or an AER or, you know, they're not a ton, but there absolutely could be a need to look outside for a sole supply situation. I just, yeah, could be, be smart to game plan that just got to believe, man, of all the things Penske can do to help IndyCar, this bringing manufacturer or manufacturers in, that's kind of the the go-to obvious one, I would hope. Jamie Carr asking, this is probably in association to a question asked a little further up, uh, whether this is going to be a 10-hour. Uh, Jeremy from hbg who asked looking forward to the 10 hours of listening q a this week uh jamie carr inquiring if he might need to take a day off from work to uh digest all of the audio content no i'm having to consolidate a lot of questions here guys because i just do not have the 10 hours that it probably does need uh scott richards says with the announcement of oliver askew and patricio award for mclaren i'm just going to share this little insight too I've already told you guys we've been formally asked to not use SPAM as the acronym in anything serious. There's a sensitivity here, by the way. Just referring to the team as McLaren. Um, Yeah, just saying. And this isn't anything critical of you, Scott. I'm just sharing out loud here on the good old podcast brought to you by cooper tires justice brothers torontomotorsports.com and bell racing helmets that the s and the p whose initials come after mclaren there's some sensitivity here of this being referred to as mclaren any perception that might stand as mclaren being the ones in charge owning directing etc while there are varying realities to everything I just mentioned. McLaren doesn't own the team at all, but they're in charge of some things here. And the, you know, I think we're just going to see a concerted effort throughout the year from the SP to make sure that folks realize that, hey, we love working with McLaren. That's super awesome and dope. But guess what? We own this. This is ours. Please don't mistake us for being in the background because a bigger name has joined us. That nonsense aside, Scott says, with Pato and Snoop ASCII ask in place, 
Does this eliminate any talk of Simon Pagenaud or other prominent veterans going to the team in 2021? Both seem to be long-term drivers instead of one-year gap fillers. Would say that's where things are tending to lean, Scott. I have no insight about contracts, length of those contracts, if those drivers can be canned after a year, stood down, with the Hinch situation, we can see that that's an option that we didn't know existed before. Also knowing that these are both very young drivers, while I'm sure their lawyers did great jobs in looking over the contracts and rounding those into something that was acceptable, I would say both drivers not in a position of strength negotiating-wise to mandate all manner of things in their contracts would say both are in a situation of honestly being thankful for the opportunity therefore not most likely dictating all kinds of you can do this and you can't do that to aero mclaren sp i mention this because if one of the two drivers does not have a stellar year if one of the two drivers crashes too much or isn't as fast as they were expected to be, I could very well imagine a scenario of a free agent Simon Pagano or free agent whomever that the team might covet uh, being put on the front burner. So I won't stick to any driver in particular like a Simon. I'll just say... The big takeaways we were given, Scott, over the past week and a half would be we can have you under contract, but if we don't feel you're going to deliver for us, all right, maybe we're obligated by signature, but we are not going to put you in a car. We will eat the salary losses if necessary to not have you turn the steering wheel and step on the paddles for us. Step on the pedals. Flip the paddles. Maybe I should drink. I always tell you guys I'm not drunk. Maybe I should drink just so I have a real excuse for being lame. I'm going to take a sip of coffee, by the way, and not edit this out. Would say that we have the precedent of if one of these two young drivers does not develop into what the team wants by midseason, you could have a Hinch-like scenario where if by contract the team's obligated to both for 21 or whatever, that one could be paid to not drive and replaced by someone better. I'd say there's another thing to consider as well, Scott, and that is piggybacking on where I started with this on the sensitivity I don't know the duration of the contract between McLaren and SNP I don't know if there's a mutual belief that they should split after one season if that's possible I'm guessing there's that could happen but would also say that while we don't know the contracts whether it's team-to-team or with the drivers know that it was pretty clear 
of where McLaren saw value in drivers in what ended up happening with Pato and Oliver being signed. I do believe sooner than later, McLaren will branch out on its own and be fully independent. Can't say where that would leave the two young drivers in question in terms of, hey, if McLaren says we're going, who holds their contracts? I don't know. But I would say that the precedent has been set of McLaren coming in, being a significant voice in what has happened. We've seen Hinch being stood down. Not something I would say that SP would have done without McLaren. Right? If this was just Aero SPM continuing next year without McLaren, do I think James Hinchcliffe would be in a car? 100%. So we know that McLaren's involvement has helped reshape their driver roster. If McLaren were to leave, knowing that they've been a heavy influencer in what the next lineup is, could one or more of those drivers go with them? Could a Pagano, who we know is super tight with McLaren sporting director Gilles DeFerrin, still be on their proverbial menu if they were to go out, strike out on their own? and maybe take an award with them. I know it's it's probably a really bad uh, little thing to paint here, but part of me thinks divorce, right? All right, we got two kids. All right, which one do you want? No, I'm taking them both. No, all right, well, who gets the dog? I don't know. Who gets the cat? I don't know how a, quote, split would happen since McLaren doesn't own any of this team. But they do have their own possessions in terms of cars and equipment and money and personnel. So, yeah, hard to say, Scott, where this might end up for 21. If everything is peaceful and happy and productive, I would think that both young drivers will do great things and this union will continue. If it doesn't, I, I'm confident we would be in for another heavy off-season. Heavy news, heavy decisions, who's in, who's out. Depending on what Hinch does or does not find going into 2020, could. Again, we're just looking way down the line and things that haven't happened and might not. If there is a split and McLaren says we're just going to do our own thing in 21, with Hinch being a free agent, could he be back in the SP fold? Would SP be the Chevy team? Would Chevy go with McLaren? Would Honda welcome SP back? I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's not the first time I've thought about this stuff, Scott. Maybe I should just start writing these articles now and have them ready ahead of time in case any or all happen. They're, all we got to do is kind of change a, a date or two, and they're just ready to go. I don't know what's ahead. I really don't. I hope this works out for them. Every When I say them, I mean all parties I just mentioned. I just If I had to bet, I'd say pick the year 21, 22, uh, I think McLaren Racing, Aero McLaren Racing, will be a thing for sure. All right. 
I think we're kind of sort of done with Twitter. I think we're kind of sort of done with Twitter. Yeah, we're done with Twitter. And where are we at? Ah, we're hour, what, 10 or so? Hour 15? Something like that. Eh, it's not too bad. All right. Uh, 7.10. All right, I'll go about another hour here. And we'll expect to get yelled at as I should for breaking my promise to my lady. All righty. We're going to go to... We're going to go back to Facebook, which is where we spent part one of your listener Q&A. But before we get there, we're going to take a right turn to Reddit. Thanks to Matt Reckert. Matt, again, man, I'm probably murdering your last name. Reckert? Reckart? Recart? Reckert. I'm not sure. I can come up with a variety of ways to destroy it. I suck, but thank you for compiling the questions from the Reddit IndyCar group. And let's see how many of these I can get through and save some time to finish up on the book face. Got one or two folks here from Reddit and also I think Facebook that asked, this is from Brown 604 is this the somewhat cryptic big news that I alluded to a while back? That would have a profound impact on North American racing, or is that something else that hasn't come to pass yet? No, that was actually the appointment of IMSA's new president, which uh, I had heard about. Well, the departure of its current president, former president, and yeah, this management change, that's the thing that I'd heard about a long, long time ago and sat on. Yeah, if I, I wish I'd known about this one. Uh, I just want to continue to be up front and saying I struck out swing and a miss on this one heard nothing. And yeah, there you go. I don't know. Uh, again, coming back to what I was expecting to write about an IndyCar Monday morning. It's kind of hilarious how meaningless, uh, what I thought my Monday reporting was going to be. Let's see, TRM, no, TR McDaniel I-89, I think. Man, there's a lot of letters and numbers and Reddit names. How does bringing in Roger help us to bring in a third engine manufacturer? And this is the part that I liked and wanted to get to. Are there candidates that were off the table before but are now serious possibilities? Hard to answer that just because we are three days after. This transaction has become public, so I would not expect some of the brands like a Porsche, like a Lamborghini, who expressed interest. I've heard Audi as well. Uh, Hard to really expect new traction in three days to get them back into the series, onto the radar of wanting to do something for 2022. What I don't know is how Roger and Greg Penske are planning to approach such things, though. Meaning, Roger spoke about forming Penske Entertainment. Roger spoke about assembling a board that would 
provide direction, provide consensus, provide something. This new senior most level of direction for IMS and IndyCar. How long will that take? He suggested it would take till the end of the year to put that board together. Does Roger wait until he has this management and oversight entity to then set them in motion to say, hey, let's get on the phone Monday morning with, again, name all the brands, the Ford family, the Porsche family, the Lamborghini family. Do we wait until we have this fully established thing or does Roger, just being Roger, start picking up the phone without the real infrastructure to maybe do things the way he likes to does he start doing this now on his own to at least try and warm the topic up a bit so that when he does have his board in place and that board working directly with jay fry mark miles and so on is that the point where this kicks off i lean towards the latter and that's because jay fry and Mark and others among IndyCar's senior leadership have been the ones in these meetings. They're the ones who can provide the updates. Where did things leave off with auto manufacturer A, B, or C? What were the things? What was the, the negative feedback? What, did you get a reason why they didn't come back? Oh, they didn't. They just simply stopped responding. All right, well, of course, Roger could do these downloads right now, but it, Knowing the way that he likes to do things decently and in order, I just tend to believe he might want to wait until he gets a real structure in place, a reporting chain developed, and then start working these angles with the full, full power of those beneath him to carry out, explore, and implement, really use the full might of the operation instead of just trying to have instead of just leveraging his name and relationships the thing that wouldn't work out well is if he were to call one of these companies and they said yeah you know what we weren't down before but now we probably are and have to say all right well we'll get back to you in two months once we actually have the people to do this yeah so can't tell you which direction he would choose, but I think the latter would be the one. Uh, let's see. This is from 25 Tab. I think this might be the first question I've read of yours. Says, I figure you're going to get a bunch of Penske questions, so I'll ask an off-topic one that you might not know the answer to. About three weeks ago, Emma Dixon, wife of Scott Dixon, posted something on her Instagram with the comment, quote, fun day filming with Netflix, end quote, it's not there anymore since it was part of an Instagram story, which go away after a day. I know Netflix has had success with their F1 series, Drive to Survive. So I found this interesting. Do you have any idea what this was about or if there's anything going on between IndyCar and Netflix? Also says, and I try to include this once an episode, but it, uh, if I were to include it in every citation, it'd probably be 50 times, which is just amazing speaking about you all. Uh, 25 tab says, I hope you and your wife, Shabrell are doing well. Thank you. I've heard that Netflix has an interest in doing something around the Indy 500. I've heard about some other Netflix racing type 
projects. I cannot speak about them, not because I'm a part of them, but because this is friends and friends of friends who've said, hey, you know, this talk's going on or that talk's going on. I've heard there's something around the Indy 500 that holds an interest to someone that's presented it, pitched it to Netflix. So I think that might be a thing. The, hey, Netflix, you know that pretty amazing drive to survive thing you have about Formula One? Well, you know, hey, you know, boy, it'd be cool if we kind of did an IndyCar version of that too. I'm sure NASCAR said the same thing and, you know, everybody because it's the, the production style, not just the quality, but the production style. Wow. Wow. I was just watching, re-watching an episode or two last weekend at uh, while at one of my wife's physical therapy sessions, and it just, it's a master class. Ooh. So anyways, uh, the, hey, we want to do something like that for our series thing. I'm sure Netflix has been just hammered with that message what would be interesting to learn is for the folks that might want to do this for an Indy 500 for a pick the other racing series, who would you have doing that? Because it is the people that put drive to survive together, brought it to slash with Netflix that made it so amazing. Netflix didn't make it amazing. The people creating it made it amazing. Would the folks doing this version of Drive to Survive, their own version of it, are they as amazing? Would their take on it be as amazing? Don't know. So I can't say if that's what Dixie was involved with, but who knows? Uh, But do also know that I'm looking forward to some pretty cool racing content coming to Netflix here next year. And the year after, if some of the things that I've heard about get the green light, and I've heard about one documentary that will be coming, that's been out, that will be heading there next year. So, yeah, I like that. Let's see. Yes, I'm singing today, by the way. I don't know why. This is from... I'm just guessing here. Will Flood 89? Do you foresee that the Penske acquisition changes the likelihood of return to some ovals of the past? Michigan, Fontana, Milwaukee. Doubtful for Michigan and Fontana. The business, it'd be hard to state the business case for that. Milwaukee, I would say, is the best shot. I think that one could work. I think if Roger was truly inspired to do such a thing there, could be inspired to do such a thing there, I think that could be... Uh, that. That's the one that I believe. If we're going to go back to an old oval, Milwaukee's going to be the one. Everyone agrees. We got to go. IndyCar knows. Look at the TV ratings. Milwaukee is a massive. It's always towards the top. The audience is there. You just need to promote it properly, and that has been a bit of an issue. Uh, Martin underscore Grundle, are you going to skip this week since nothing newsworthy happened? I was considering it. I was, I was thinking, since they like to butt into the show so frequently, I was just going to turn on the mic, 
put a bowl of kibble in front of it and just let Rocky and Rosie munch away. And that was going to be the week in IndyCar listener Q and a, cause there you go. And that follows into satin shies. Did you consider making all your notifications vibrate? So Rocky could chase your phone as it dances around the room. I mean, I don't know why I'm missing this stuff. I appreciate your insights here. I, I should be thinking more and more. I'll just throw in, I don't know what the reason happens to be, but in moving from where we were about a mile away to where we are now, in the office, what our second bedroom, which is my office, it's set up, well, it's only partially set up. I haven't, uh, trust me, I'm barely unpacked in here, but the layout is kind of the same as to what it was. And for whatever reason, where Rocky would like to jump up, and put his ass in my face all the time when I recorded at our previous location, that's been a comparative rarity. Rosie, on the other hand, who pretty much never did such a thing, she's been the world's biggest pain in the ass. Her favorite thing is to jump up now and bite everything. Me included. Uh, It's biting, knocking things off the desk, or just coming up and she decides... Screw you, I'm going to lay on your chest and you're going to just stop and give me your full attention. I don't know what changed between the two of them. Maybe they pass a baton. He said, hey, all right, it's your turn now. Jack with this idiot. She's doing a good job. Net Wealth 5 says, does Penske's age put the long-term future of the series in question? I know that people say he'll lift 150, but is Jay Penske going to be running this thing at some point? And would it be crazy that Penske bought it and then flipped it to a Comcast or the France family at some point? I don't foresee the latter part happening ever. In terms of cost, money, wealth, and whatnot, the rumors of the price have been have ranged from 250 million to 2 billion and whatever the number is although this was purchased as a asset compared to a toy by Roger the money truly doesn't matter it's it's, <laughs> it's not an issue this isn't something where raj is going to need to overhaul one of his private jets ah oh, man dang it got to sell IndyCar, got to gotta get some new turbines in place. The money is never going to be an issue. So flipping it, eh, yeah, don't ever see that. Uh, as for Jay Penske, no, no, Greg Penske for sure. Jay Penske, no. While Jay is in racing, loves racing, follows in his father's shadow in that regard, has his Formula, uh, Formula E team, has his media empire. Jay's a little more of a, a free spirit. He, he's the long-haired Penske. The only long-haired Penske that I know of. I would not foresee Roger putting Jay in charge of anything in terms of running big, big Penske Corporation type businesses like this. Jay with his Penske Media Company. 
that seems to be a perfect fit for who he is. I don't think Jay would want to run IndyCar or IMS. Just, yeah. So, Greg Penske, yes. Jay Penske, no. West King 84 re- says, realistically, does Hinch have a shot at a full season or is he going to be relegated to an Indy one-off? As Bobby Rahel told us, even if Hinch showed up with the money today, it might be hard to put him in a third car from a staffing standpoint. I don't want to disagree with Bob because he owns the team, and that's what he said. If the team wanted to run him, they could absolutely find quality people to do that. But Bob's greater point is, the longer you wait into the offseason, the harder it is to find quality people. And honestly, we have a situation where with IndyCar spring training happening, what, almost three months to the day from now? Yeah, that clock is that is ticking. It is really, really ticking. So at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, I would say Hinch's chances are slim based on Bob's answers to us here. I cannot think of other places for him to land that make me believe it could be easy. I can't really find the places for him to land where it would be hard but feasible. As I wrote in that what's next for Hinch thing that went up on Racer last week, I'm just going to have to repeat what was at the the core of that item. For Hinch to be in a full-time seat, knowing that he does not have, as I understand, a half a budget yet, it's going to take big movement from a sponsor or sponsors to get him to a full budget. It's going to take that money acquisition to happen swiftly if we use Bob's feedback. And if both of those things don't happen, Hinch maybe finds more money, but he's still stuck at that $3 million instead of $6 million number. And it takes a long time to get there. Only way I can see that this situation changes is for the other item, the main item that I I included in the story. An extraordinary act by someone. Is it pressure from IndyCar? Is it pressure from Honda Canada? Is it pressure from American Honda? Is it, who knows? Justin Trudeau? (laughs) Prime Minister of Canada? Pleading? I don't know. I, I don't know. Money now, better odds, or money later, even then that becomes a real stretch, or not enough money later, a worrying stretch. We're going to be in a scenario where a team owner through some sort of application of leverage, power, threat, or promise of some sort of favor or gift, 
takes a step forward. So Andretti Autosport is going to be six cars, five in-house, one technical alliance. Expanding to six in-house cars? Yeah, I I just don't see it. Uh, but some rumors, rumors that I heard that Hinch was uh, spending time within the Andretti Autosport building last weekend. True? I don't know. Rumor. Would Andretti push out to six, knowing that they got to find funding for the fifth for Colton Herta? Again, I probably the best team to try and do it in terms of track record of finding money. They're Honda, obviously. That's all good. So, you know, I'll just come back to this. If you forget the time part, you forget the money part, just forget everything. There's going to be one undeniable fact that is a part of whatever process that might get James back into the series in a full-time entry. And it's going to be an uncomfortable existence. It's going to be very uncomfortable for whatever team to pull this off. It is not going to be pleasant. I don't want to make this sound like James is a a burden. No, not at all. Just the plan that Andretti came up with was we're going to expand to five full-time cars. That's more than we wanted, but it's a extraordinary scenario with Harding and Steinbrenner being on financial fumes. And this Colton Herta kid looks like he is a future champion. We better, in this very unique circumstance, do something extraordinary to keep him Try and keep Steinbrenner involved and Harding, and we'll find a way to make it work. Man, we that's not what we drew up, right? We drew up this Harding-Steinbrenner-Andretti Technologies collaboration, four-car Andretti team, two-car satellite engagement run out of a different shop. It's a, a business deal. We're getting paid to do it. All right, well, that went ass up. All right, we'll do this, what is an extraordinary thing. And they've done it. It's amazing for them to do it again, twice, (laughs) during the same offseason. It is possible. It could happen. I hope it does. Again, it's going to come back to, man, this is going to be unpleasant on their part. And for James as well. I mean, he, this guy doesn't want to be in limbo. He just wants to be enjoying his life as a newlywed and, you know, doing a vacation or two and doing fitness training and thinking about all the things he's going to try and do better next year and all the races he's going to win. We look elsewhere for limiting ourselves to Honda, knowing James's Honda connections. I'll check back in here. I got a call or two out. I didn't ask us of Chip. I should have, but he never really gives in. He he always tells us the opposite of the truth. So actually, maybe that would have been uh, the revealing part. Uh, should have asked him about Hinch, a fourth car. But 
I don't know anything about the team's plans to do more than three. If they do, again, uh, it's just my ignorance. But, yeah, uh, you've heard me say before, uh, as I understand it, the Ganassi team does not dislike Hinch in any way. Their view of him in terms of driving might be along the lines of what we believe McLaren has kind of said, which is good guy, going to win some races, but we don't know if he's going to get us to the promised land. I think the Ganassi team might be in alignment with McLaren in that philosophy, which could make going through the unpleasant effort of finding the money, putting it on track, putting that car on track, stretching themselves back out to four. Don't know if that's going to be a, a reality there, but I will ask coin. I've heard nothing about them going to three. If you happen to read the story I posted today with my French fry talking about cockpit cooling being the one remaining issue with the aero screen, uh, intrepid readers might have noticed that the photo credit for the lead image of Seb, Santino Ferrucci, <laughs> who asked to be credited for the photo, um, which I love. So, yeah, uh, not announced yet as returning to the team. Wouldn't be crazy to suggest that Dale's first car and second car are taken haven't heard a thing although dale has said they'd they'd entertain the idea if money could be found yeah heard nothing about real movement and effort to make that happen but if it were to happen that'd be awesome i just don't know if i'm gonna put a lot of thought into that actually happening after dale coin racing the last honda team to mention we've already covered off ray hall adam and lanigan racing so that's where, if anything were to happen in the Honda world, where we believe the most amount of money would come to help, it's not going to be easy. Let's go to Joseki 100. Same question as last week, a little Spanish-speaking bird. It told me accurate stuff in the past. Told me Alonzo will race at the Indy 500 with Andretti. Should I stop listening to birds? I mean, that'd be pretty amazing, wouldn't it? I have heard that the usual talks of extra seat for the 500 um, going on. I have not heard that that topic has closed down which would imply that the seat is taken. So certainly worth trying to brush up on that a little bit. So uh, maybe I'll have some news on that here shortly. Uh, I don't like your dad. All right. I don't think you met him, but he was pretty cool. Um, Says, do you think Penske owning Indy will convince Jerry Forsyth to come back? No, I don't. I, yeah. Eater, F.L. Lozada. Could say Flozada. I think the caps F.L. means Florida. I have no idea. Hola again, Marshall. 
Here's a long questionnaire for you. Do you know what the cost or an estimate of the TV rights are for IndyCar abroad? What do you think of the global TV deals from IndyCar? What do you think the series needs to do to promote themselves and increase their presence on other markets? How much do you think IndyCar cares about their fans across the globe? What's your guess on how the new ownership might affect this topic? Says some context for my questions. I'm from Mexico. And in 2019, it was a hard year to follow the series. I could see the first races through the IndyCar live stream site. Uh, but from Long Beach, a service named Claro Video picked up the TV rights for my region. The problem for me was that said service put a very high price for the IndyCar channel. And as you have to pay 50 US dollars, 950 pesos for the season, which is around the same price as NBC Gold that you get in the U.S., but here's the bad deal, as you only got the races, no practice, qualifying, or support series. I'm going to have to insert my belief of how this will be reacted to by Roger and company. This is an area where contracts were signed by the current IndyCar management group that in some areas improved international accessibility and in others I would say in others talking about the Americas that are above and below us here in oh good old America the US of A Yeah, I'd say there's some Canadian fans who are not only grumpy with IndyCar, but I've heard just some informal stories where folks have said, boy, it seemed like pretty quickly a lot of folks stopped talking about IndyCar here. Wonder if it's associated to uh, struggles to get the product on television as easily as they have. And I know we know in South America that this has Accessibility has changed, as you mentioned now, pay option, uh, not getting everything but just the races. Uh, I know Carlos Villalobos, our pal here, mentioned after the uh, TV contracts were announced coming into the 2019 season that where he was uh, in South America, he could not get IndyCar broadcast. But according to the information released by the series, it was available in North Korea. Um, where we have diverging realities here comes in the form of some of the TV contracts that were signed are shitty. I won't give you a different word because what is just shitty. Shitty in terms of fans. We know that in some of these instances, it's because the broadcasters knowing that IndyCar, which used to rely on, I believe, ESPN International to handle, manage, and whatnot, many of its international relationships. This is when ABC slash ESPN was the co-broadcaster of the series through 2018. Uh, With NBC taking things over, obviously ESPN was not going to be that agent uh, doing these international deals. And with IndyCar responsible to do them themselves, they found... In many instances, including Canada, where the uh, the 
traditional broadcaster had said, yeah, well, now that it's up for uh, negotiation, eh, eh, not really, no thanks. Had to fight to come up with what they did. So I don't know if we, you know, can you say IndyCar fumbled in some instances? Sure. Should we say that now with ESPN not involved and ESPN not having their big name and leverage to apply that some countries slash broadcasters said, "Ah, all right, ah, no thanks, or we'll do it, but it's going to be under a heavily revised thing or it's going to be on some weird channel that you've got to pay 27 different tiers to get only going to be streamed or who knows what. A lot of things in this transition from ABC ESPN to strictly NBC in terms of international broadcast stuff didn't go down in a happy, happy way. So where we have the diverging scenarios here is this part's known. Lots of things need to improve where we are a little bit troubled is in Canada. I believe the contract is three years and we just put down one. That means there's a couple more years of shitty options. Put that in front of Roger, put that in front of Greg Penske, put that in front of Bud Denker, whomever else at the highest level. And their natural instinct would be to say, yes, we we live the international business life. Let's go and get it and attack it. We got to improve it. You're right. We need to make this more of a global product that any and everyone can get. That's great. Uh, But got to get through the contracts that they are inheriting first. So that's the situation they're going to have to manage here. They are inheriting some things that are done. They're not up for Penske to say, ah, that's bad. I'm going to change it. Great. Uh, Contracts in place are really hard to just make go away. And Roger is not the type for those who think, oh, well, anything can be bought out. Sure. Uh, Roger's not the type just to throw money at stuff to make problems go away. Uh, He is a, a business and planning kind of guy not a let-me-throw-my-financial-weight-around guy for stuff like this. Let's see. Got a question here about would folks in the paddock or the new ownership put in money for Hinch uh, to get a ride? That comes in from Ike Josh. Can't see it happening. Uh, Let's see. The Michael Inn. Do you see Roger bringing in corporate alcohol money to the Indy 500 and eliminating the ability for fans to bring their own beers to the race, BYOB? What about other long-time and recent month of May traditions like the Snake Pit, partying in Turn 3 infield, crappy 70s and 80s rock bands on Carb Day, glamping? Do you see Roger putting a kibosh on those things and messing with IMS's recent penchant for taking fun and unique risks to boost attendance? I sure hope not, and I don't think so. I think any and all things that you've listed here will be up for review. Hey, that's what happens with stuff like this when a Roger Penske comes in. Tell us about your current practices. Tell us about your recent decisions and walk us through how you arrived at those things. It's not a inquisition. It's a help us to understand. 
So you do this thing. Let's take the snake pit, the the, the formation of the, I guess, non-syphilis herpes and uh, gunshot era of the snake pit, a cleaner, friendlier one with shiny lights and music and smoke machines and whatnot. How'd that come to pass? What is that? How much does it cost? How many people does it contain? How many contracts do we have? Do we own the lighting rigs and and platform and stage and sound system? Do we outsource that? What's, what does that cost? Would it be smarter if we were to continue doing this to purchase the equipment and amortize that over X amount of years versus paying externally for a service for someone to bring these items in? What kind of staffing does it require? What is sold there? What isn't sold there? What kind of security do we have? Are there different rules for the snake pit than a regular fan in the grandstands? Just walk walk us through what it is, how it is, who it is, where it is, how it came to be. Tell us what it does that's positive. What are the concerns you have? What are the negatives? And not saying we're going to ask you to justify everything. We're going to drop the axe and cut it or keep it based on whether we like your answer. But, all right, we, we own this thing. And we do this thing where we look at what we got and figure out what works, what doesn't, try to make it better. So I think that's going to be a natural part of the process. And I expect it to get down to a lot of levels. If I'm talking food at some of the places you might find beneath the grandstands, uh, it works. I get that, but... Could there be some modernization there? Maybe. Who knows? Are there traditional things that you don't want to mess with? Absolutely. Provided Doug Bowles is kept as Indy, as IMS's CEO, I would say the fun is going to continue. He is a showman. As I mentioned to someone else today, he remind he's a Eddie Gossage in a pressed suit. Very much a showman, very much a man of the people. His marketing and PR and sales background it it comes through in everything that he does. And so I would say Doug is going to be the guy, provided he remains in place. Roger said they're keeping all the management. I say the if part because that's also normal. Once you get a year out, two years, three years, sometimes those things can change. Provided Doug stays in place, he has helped bring a lot of character back. A lot of character back. A lot of fun. And I got to believe... That's the thing that Roger needs to embrace. Would say that the Penske way that will benefit IMS the most would say is in the business practices and property development side. Not so much the what do the uh, tenants 
inside the building do, uh, hey, make it better, make it nicer, make it more modern, offer more creature comforts, uh, greater diversity of food and beverage and whatever else. Um, Do all the things that folks would expect if they went to a Pacers game or to watch the Colts play or whatever else where you could get this kind of boutique-ish type thing. Cool, a little artisan beer or garlic French fries or whatever else. You go to major sporting events these days and it tends to be less kind of just slop thrown onto a bun and, you know, some 15-year-old mustard to squirt on the thing. Tends to be a little bit more high-end-minded. I'm not saying everybody that goes to the Indy 500 is looking for a high-end experience, so you want to make sure that your pork tenderloins and your Budweiser's or whatever shitty beer they sell, whatever general generic type of beer that they make, again, keep all that stuff. Just make sure that you also cater to a younger demographic that might be accustomed to a little more personalization. A lot of great stuff to do at the track, but there's a big difference, which I hope and believe will be recognized that, you know, Penske Corporation, Penske Entertainment, make the Indianapolis Motor Speedway a greater facility to visit let the folks that put on the parties and have the fun and make use of that improved facility. Just let them keep doing what they're doing. All right. One more question here I'm going to take from 82GMC Jimmy on Reddit. It says, with this ownership change, is there a chance that we'll start to see larger amounts of prize money at the Indy 500 and other IndyCar races in general? I'm going to go short on this answer because this deserves a much longer discussion. So maybe someone will throw this in again next week. I don't know. And I'll try and lead off with it. I want to write about this as well. As I have perceived things, that perception could be wrong, but as I've perceived things for quite a while now, the Indy 500's purse and the finances required to run the IndyCar series provided by the Holman George family, I have perceived it as a little bit of a noose around their neck. We put on this Indy 500. We put on the NASCAR race. We do a variety of things here. I know it's gone now, but we have the Red Bull Air Races, and we do this, that, and the other. We put on these events. It generates a lot of income. We own Clabber Girl. No, that's sold now. That generates income. There are other things that we do or own that generates income. We take that income, and from it, slice off a portion, pretty healthy portion if we're talking the total prize money, millions upon millions of dollars to cover the field of 33, that prize money. And then we cut off a 
bigger slice for sure for the IndyCar series to run the IndyCar series. And it's not just run the IndyCar series. This is the thing that has stood out as the, huh, I want, I don't know if this is something that they're, they're really down with. And that is the money needed for the leader circle program. For those who aren't aware of what the leader circle is, it's guaranteed prize money packaged into equal distribution to every team concept came up with after enough teams complained that you know in this regular prize money scenario the big two or three teams win all the races they take home all the riches and the rest of us who are new or just trying to get scrape in we want to be like the big two or three but come on it took them a long time to get there we're early in that process or whatever it might be course we're not ready to knock down penske and we're taking home pennies but we're still look we got the same cars look we're doing the same thing but we're always stuck taking home the minor share came over the leader circle said great what we're going to do is effectively take all the individual event purses excluding indy stick everything together cut it into equal slices Round about a million dollars per entry. The numbers fluctuated 1.1, 1.12, and but just going to call it a million dollars. So what we've had is guaranteed payout to the teams that commit to a full-time entry, full season. Even that, there's been some willful modification. All right, well, you're part-time-ish, you're part-time plus. All right, well, we'll... You know, we'll help you out with a leader circle contract if it helps get you uh, to the races and going to help get you towards that full-time thing one day. If you think about the 22-ish, 24, at times we've had 25, 26 full-time cars, $25 million a year being set aside by the Holman George family just as a financial bedrock to prop up teams a bit. Through again, although there is prize money handed out at the non Indy 500 races, it's what 30 grand a win, and you know, it's not a lot. But for the most part, the prize money that teams once hoped for and some lived on that's now paid out through regular installments. It's a, again, just call it a million bucks per entry. Well, that's just always stood out. I should say always stood out more and more recently as something where the Holman George family, thank goodness for you. Thank goodness for what you own in IMS, for what you have in the modern day version of the Indy Racing League. Thank goodness for all these things. Thank goodness for viewing yourselves as the caretakers, the folks, the the ongoing benevolence deliverers because you throw a crazy amount of millions at the Indy 500 and at IndyCar to allow these things to exist. If you are coming in as a straight business person, you might say, what? (laughs) You're taking that volume of profits and just using it to kind of run things that uh, Indy 500 makes money. Don't get me wrong. But 
IndyCar Series in particular, yeah, I don't know if we're arguing about that really being a, a profit center. So the average business person would look at this scenario and go, hold on. If this can't th- if this thing can't stand on its own financial merit, uh, we might struggle to see the value in keeping it alive. So this is where my thoughts are pondering for a much longer discussion, 82 GMC Jimmy, and a written piece on how does Roger Penske, Penske Corp, Penske Entertainment, Greg Penske, all the generals there, how do these folks set to work on reviewing the Holman-George methodologies, financial processes. This is how money comes in through this giant event and other events at this world-renowned facility. This is the money we take out from that generation to send across the street to IndyCar to make it exist, pay salaries, make sure the trucks have fuel to get to the events, to pay for the hotels, for the technical inspectors and pit lane and this and that, safety crew, just, again, all these things. Plus, leader circle. How does this work? And does drawing profit drawing money from indy 500 profit stand as the best way to do things is that something to continue is that something where if we can improve ims improve the facility get more people who want to come there hold more events just hey we turn on the lights more often to put on a show and money is being generated profits are coming in because of this and that therefore gives us more profit to potentially pull out and put into indycar is that a thing to do which then increases the prize money through increased leader circle get that to a million and a half two million who knows maybe more a year or does penske say yeah taking robbing from one to benefit the other i don't know if that's smart money we need to go find if 25 millions the average number that's spent a year on leader circles we need to go find 25 million dollars in new sponsors to replace that so the profits from ims stay strictly profits or 50 million who knows how does this get paid for that's the thing i want to see what they decide if the holman george method which has been working uh, you know again an accepted diminishing of the income found through the facility being used to keep indycar afloat is that an acceptable process they'll determine that keep going if they believe so would improving the facility getting more people there improving the number of events would this be a thing that brought profits up, gave them more to spend towards IndyCar. Hey, we're getting that leader circle number up. Is that the way? Is abandoning that and going to a sponsorship model to pay for leader circle, is that the way? Is keeping, is trying to do both. We're going to take the money from IMS to do this, plus we have found new sponsors as well. We've combined it, and boy, 
the leader circle number is really getting up. I don't know. I'd tell you that I believe this is going to be among the high priority items they dive into. Roger knows, not so much firsthand, but knows because he sits in on these meetings. There are far too many team owners saying, I don't know how I'm going to get there. Uh, any of you guys got any extra sponsors you don't need? <laughs> Please send them my way. Send them my way. So the economics of IndyCar, however it improves, specifically through the Leader Circle program or finding, who knows, maybe sponsors that just they can help lead towards teams. And there's so many options that could happen here whether it is bringing more money to the teams, which everyone needs, bringing costs down, which everyone agrees they need and must happen. If Roger and company can do this fairly magic thing of increasing money going to the teams while also reducing costs, that's the holy grail we're pursuing here. Open the show here, part two, by telling you that I lied in part one at the conclusion and that, no, I just cut it off and didn't come back and we just posted that. Well, (laughs) Ah, I just snorted. The new norm, the new norm is Marshall Pruitt lies to you because it is 8.04. I've gone about 20 minutes longer than I was supposed to originally. We are at two hours and five minutes or so. We'll see. Something in that range. Having to squint, my eyes are a little tired. And I still have to get to Facebook. So the part where I said I'll be wrapping up around eight and saving some time. Yeah. To get to Facebook. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I lied. So this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to hit stop. Go and be with my wife for the rest of the night. Go get dinner ready for her. She just texted me, by the way, telling me, stop it, you idiot. That's perfect timing. I'm going to stop now and then continue in the morning. Listener, Ryan Terpstra, who is my informal timekeeper, I'm sure should have fun at my expense because I, whenever I say, oh, I'm going to go another X amount of time, it never works out that way. That's it, just, it's an accepted part of me. So I don't know how long this episode is going to be. It's not going to be the 10 hours. Uh, Jamie Carr, you're not going to have to take a day off work. But I know that with the amount of questions I still need to get to in Facebook, let's say I'm going to predict I'm going to need to tack on another hour at least, maybe an hour and a half. So maybe this is going to be three and a half hours. I don't know. But I will say thank you here this evening. And this is about to be the sound of the stop button being hit. And I'll speak to you tomorrow morning. All right, for once, I didn't lie to you. We're back, hopefully, to knock out the rest of your questions, as many as I can. Starting here on a fine, overcast Rained overnight, but lovely overcast Thursday morning. Going to go to, on the good old book faces, Tim Gundlach, father of 
Kate Gundlach, who moved from Chip Ganassi Racing to Aero McLaren SP during the offseason. Tim said, I don't have a question, but rather a thank you for Bobby Rahal for helping my daughter Kate achieve an IndyCar career. As a parent, I really appreciate the opportunities and experiences you've allowed her over the years. Wishing RLL a great 2020, Kate, who did begin her journey, I guess on the, the bigger level here, where she is today within the Ray Hall organization. So pretty cool. Thanks, Tim. Thanks for sending that in. Go to Ed Joris, who says, MP of the people who run IndyCar and IMS today, who do you expect to stay? My list includes Jay Fry, but I'm not sure who else I'd include. In the other direction, who do you think Roger would bring in? Any chance he hires outside recent retirees as consultants, such as Scott Atherton to look at internal operations, George Brugenthes, George who ran Road America for super long time and is now there in a, I don't remember the exact title, but he's still there in a senior role. Uh, George to look at partner and event development. Says once the deal is done and the new organization is in place, what is going to surprise us? The answer to the last question, Ed, likely going to be nothing. I can't think of anybody within IndyCar who, upon learning of the new owner, would have said, I'm out of here. If there's someone who, by chance, has had some sort of grudge with Roger or RP's, quote, people, then maybe that would be a unique scenario. This isn't, though, a situation where, upon learning this, at IndyCar or even IMS, I think anyone would say, all right, I'm done. I'm out. Leaving this sinking ship. Now, where I think there could be some concerns would be below the J Fries, below the Doug Bowles. Areas where folks might have questions about, as I mentioned a little bit, just a little while ago, about some of the decision-making. How'd you get here? How did that happen? No, this isn't a specific answer in terms of this person in that department, Ed. Let's not forget that prior to becoming the owner of all, Roger certainly had things that he was not a fan of, decisions that he would not have made if he was in a position to dictate. And as a team owner, I am positive those things were conveyed to either the track or the series. Be natural to expect those to be revisited. I don't know what they are. Just know that Roger is a very astute guy. He is not a follower. He is a leader. He thinks in leadership ways. And so for the things he's been affected by, positive, the things that he said, eh, I don't know about that, it's going to come up. And could the people who arrived at whatever those things are be folks that might be under the microscope? Definitely. But I can't think of any significant structural changes that would happen right away. If we think about the series, so we have the leadership, obviously, and Jay as a president. Beneath Jay, he's brought in Mike Zizzo to overlook communications. PR and whatnot, Uh, Mike's been doing a a really good job there. If you look elsewhere, 
You got Steven looking after tracks and relationships and helping with TV and whatnot. You can work around to a variety of, of departments. SJ, who's there and the senior most uh, communications, marketing, and whatnot role. I don't see anything that jumps out as, oh, time to go. Where I think this is going to be interesting, Ed, is getting a feel for Roger's view, Greg Penske's view of performance and aptitude. Because it's something for an idiot like me to look I guess you could say I'm on the inside of the sport, but look externally because I don't work for either organization. It's one thing for me to offer my thoughts, looking from the outside, saying, of course, everybody can do a better job, but not seeing easy. Oh, boy, finally, we can get rid of that person. It's a little bit of a purging that went on in recent months in some departments that, that might have been to its benefit, but not necessarily in the super, super senior capacity. That's my thought, though. What'll be interesting to to gauge is how narrow the band of expectation becomes from the Penske organization. What they consider to be a skilled person doing a fine job, yeah, that could be that could be a pretty narrow thing compared to my view, which is probably much wider. That's the part I want to find out. That's going to be interesting. That's going to be the thing where if we do learn that person X is no longer involved, I think those are the, those are the moves where we're going to learn exactly how, how fine that microscope from the Penske team happens to be. Another thing that might be interesting to see is if they determine if, you know, yeah, this, this man or this woman's been doing this and this thing for a while, but, you know, maybe maybe they're misplaced. Maybe their core strengths are elsewhere. Want to keep them, just we're looking at the, the org chart. We're looking at the output. Yeah, you know, maybe we need to shuffle things a little bit compared to hire and fire. As for consultants... No disrespect to Scott. I can't think of much that Scott would have done that Roger or Greg have not. Keeping in mind that Scott was an employee of Roger and Greg. Uh, So I think he's been down that path. The promotion side as well, from the Penske Motorsports angle, having owned and run tracks, put on events, many of them very successful could definitely be some value in engaging with George, for example, or many others. And I wouldn't limit this to IndyCar, probably some of the IMSA tracks as well. You know, Connie Nightholm from VIR, she, they do an amazing job. Go talk to Connie. That might be something where a refreshing, getting to understand today's challenges where the Penske team has not been connected to that might be something that certainly has value. So George, yeah, call to George would be amazing. Same call to George hopefully would say, you know that idea you've been floating and, and been willing to try and help make happen of some sort of dual 
Elkhart Lake and Milwaukee back-to-back or whatever it might be. Let's talk about that. Let's get Milwaukee back. I think that might be the thing, Ed, that happens here. Structurally, though, I don't foresee any major changes in terms of names we know that are gone. Last thing that comes to mind here, though, is if there can be an infusion of extra funds, extra budget for the series. I'd love for Roger and Greg and team to poll Jay Fry, Doug Bowles, and so on and say, all right, you guys have been able to do what you've been doing at this budget level. Are you missing people? In your department where you have a staff of 10 for whatever it is, well, that's actually a joke, a staff of three, staff of two, would four make a significant difference? Make State the business case for it. And if we see the value, let's get, get that person on board. Let's put that call out for some resumes. That's something I think might be a a timely request as well. It's been a a tight ship, lean ship, tight ship, however you want to phrase it. Just throwing bodies at it, as Roger said, they don't have a gymnasium or whatever the phrase was of their own people to apply to this, but this could be a scenario where IndyCar and IMS might value from actually expanding some departments that have been running lean that could indeed in some way, shape, or form help the overall product. Let's go to Simon Rafi. Thank you for sending in something that isn't about Roger Penske. It says, MP, the F1 race at Coda had an electronic loop on the outside of turn 19 to enforce track limits. Do you think IndyCar could or should use it next year to keep drivers on track? No, I think the practice that they had seemed to work fairly well of just allowing the corner to extend further onto the paved portion of the road. I don't, how's this? I know that some folks reacted harshly to that. Oh, it's ridiculous and so on. It's unsafe. Yeah, whatever. Uh, The cars are going very quickly into that corner, whether they turn left sooner or a little bit later. Wouldn't say it's a bad thing, though. This concept of having some form of go-no-go electronic policing? Eh. I... I'm not a fan of of that. I think that's what I'm reacting to. The, oh... We're having to judge the, oh, oh yes, the, the thing said that you went too far. They don't have the staff to watch every single car going through that corner, every single lap in practice, in qualifying, in the race to determine did they indeed go too far? Did they not? Did they come in at an angle? Was there some yaw in the car? And it was a rear tire instead of the whole car that went over the line and I don't know. I'd rather see them put tire bales 
and some sort of soft barrier, move that forward, take away the long way around turn 19. If we want to force drivers to use, just call it the F1 practice in that corner. I don't know if we need to get into electronic stuff. I'd just say, take it away. Put the tire barriers, put stacks of tire barriers, something soft, but something that just physically removes the open space to run through. If you put something there that folks know, aha, I can't get out there, I would have to believe that that would be the governing item. Let's see. Al Wolstein says, do you think Lewis Hamilton is better than Will Power, Joseph Newgarden, or Scott Dixon, or any of the other drivers in the IndyCar paddock? Imagine if there was a challenge series for F1 versus IndyCar using someone else's equipment, such as the Australian S5000 cars. This would remove the car differential, then run on tracks that none of them run on. This would be like IROC on steroids. Do you think Hamilton, Vettel, or Verstappen would triumph? I think it would be a tough road for the Formula One drivers. Everything I've seen in Lewis Hamilton makes me confident in saying he is indeed the greatest race car driver in the world. Something about six championships (laughs) makes it kind of easy to say something that obvious. Dixon stands out as someone who, if he'd been on that Formula One path early in his career, would be a multiple world champion. He has that kind of of all-time talent. Newgarden? Be really interesting to find out. I think the thing that differentiates peak Formula One drivers from peak IndyCar drivers is the insane pressure in Formula One. It is just brutal from everything that I know. It's not saying IndyCar is not packed with pressure. Just the the environment as I understand it and have seen it, watched it, followed it since my youth, it's going to break you quickly and easily if you are not made of extraordinary stuff mentally, also physically, talent-wise, every factor, every facet. And that's where I think we get these Senna's and Schumacher's and Stewart's and Clark's and Fangio's and Nuvolari's and so many others. It's just this thing that is pretty amazing. But what you also don't get is that Swiss Army knife of talent that you find in IndyCar's best. So I think it'd be interesting in this concept, Al, is, yeah, go to a neutral car, go to some, quote, neutral tracks, but if it's all just road racing, well, that would seemingly play to Formula One's best. If we bring in ovals, which is an IndyCar discipline that is not obviously used in Formula One, I think the career paths of IndyCar drivers, the best that you've referenced here, would play to, quote, our favor. So I don't 
dislike the idea at all. I know that if we're talking, we're going to a short oval, a super speedway, a road course, and a street course. I think a Dixon, New Garden, Power, Rossi, etc., Colton Herta. I think IndyCar drivers win at least half of those races, if not three of the four. Other thing, too, we'll mention is just terms of refinement in this specific scenario you've mentioned of the uh, the spec S5000 cars. If we're looking at IndyCar, the drivers you've mentioned are best here, spent many years, if not significant portions of their careers, working within a very narrow box of freedom, having to work on the smallest, smallest fractions of improvements with the cars to differentiate, to then go do their jobs better than the others. be interesting to see how F1 drivers who are accustomed to everything being specialized and tunable to their liking might find their fortunes change in a car where you can't do that. (laughs) So it's an interesting idea. A lot of this scenario you've painted, at least, I think would lean towards favor of an IndyCar driver. Those who know how to get the most out of something that can't tune as much as an F1 driver would want or expect. If it was strictly road courses, again, Formula One drivers, we know how badass they are. It's not as if our drivers aren't. But if we're just talking where do folks stand, Separate of an IROC-like challenge, today, I'm confident Lewis Hamilton will go down as Formula One's greatest, just by numbers. Matching Schumacher's seven titles, surpassing his seven titles, being the all-time in more or less every category. Wins, podiums, this is that's. I think by the time he's done, he's going to have it all. Weird, though, Al. Well, not weird, I guess. Actually, quite the opposite. Sadly predictable, Al, that seeing a bunch of idiots in the wake of Hamilton's sixth championship, dismissing so much of it, oh, he's with the best team, and, I mean, come on. Does it really have any value? Weird how I don't recall hearing that during Schumacher's reign at Ferrari. Weird how seemingly Michael, the best of the best, magic, all-time great. Of course, he made the team better, made the team his. Look at this. Funny how somehow Lewis Hamilton, meh, he's just along for the ride. He receives the benefit of Mercedes greatness. That's why he has accrued so many championships since joining the team. Obviously, we know about his championships prior to Mercedes, but the criticism that I've seen has been about, ah, well, come on, of course, he's with the best team. Racking up wins, championships year after year, of course. Again, With one guy, it's all him. He's the best. Made it the best. Reaps the benefits. This guy, they give it to him. 
not possible for him to actually be the driving force within the team to shape things, to make the car, to make everything better. Yeah, so that's the thing that bums me out, Al. Uh, Yeah, whatever. All right, going to move on here. I don't want to wander too far down that rabbit hole. Uh, Ryan Ward. Marshall, do you think with Roger now at the helm of IndyCar, he he will actually spend some money in time promoting our two-time IndyCar champion, Joseph Newgarden, or do you think... He would have done that already if it was important to him. Eh. Got to understand, Ryan, that the perspective of a team owner and entrant having achieved a title with their driver, a little bit different in the what to do with that success mindset as a team owner that point there's a bit of a handing off all right well series this is now your thing to promote where i don't have an answer for this but love the line of thinking will roger who's now in charge of the thing start thinking or wondering why we haven't seen more why more has not been done will those within his organization pose that question so uh, for the millionth time, I look forward to seeing how this plays out from the angle of will they recognize this, that, you know, you have this pretty amazing guy. <laughs> he, he's good-looking, well-spoken, uh, amazing at his job, has won two really big things in the last three years. All-American, just Joseph Newgarden should be the easiest champion to market in, I can't tell you how long, in IndyCar. This should be a breeze. Can't tell you why he is not a bigger name. If we talk specifically, Ryan, about this offseason, wedding coming up, trying to, you know, that's a pretty significant thing in life would say that a lot of demands on his time immediately may be ill-fitting. But yeah, I'll tell you, the, the recognition you have of this needing to take place. I'm hoping folks within the Penske organization, now that they have a reason to not only ask, but act on such things, I hope it lands with them. Joshua Ponce. Hey, Joshua. Marshall is wondering if there are any number of vintage IndyCar, USAC, Champ Car, IRL, etc. vehicles that are still in running conditions that can be used to put on a historic IndyCar racing series, much like the HSR series does. Visit maybe a handful of tracks and showcase the history of IndyCar. Would love to see different groups of vintage IndyCars on track one day. Well, my friend Mike Lashmet and some good folks that he works with have the Vintage Indy Registry. They are a part of the Gateway Weekend, where they do exactly what you mentioned. And they hit a couple of different events each year. They're growing, and it's everything you mentioned here. What I would love to see, yet another. <laughs> Sorry, Raj. I know we're up to 
item 943 on the on the to-do list this is a pretty big area for indycar to embrace that would help itself the 2020 cars with the aero screen installed we know because we read the comments anytime something gets posted that involves the aero screen that an awful lot of of open wheel loyalists aren't happy with what they're looking at the more that indycar can do to keep its past in motion, bring out the cars that made IndyCar what it is today, that many, many of its fans, since IndyCar's average demographic is older white male in his 50s plus, it's not a bad idea to make this a greater aspect of IndyCar's events and just regular thinking. So whether it is the Vintage Indy Registry or one of the many HSR, SVRA, and so on type organizations that do nothing but vintage events, really smart for IndyCar to look at engaging at as many rounds as possible this exact scenario you mention here. It's just good business it's just smart (laughs) folks love going to a basketball game and hey here's the legend that i saw when i was a kid or a couple of them same with football and so on it's a thrill to see whatever it is pick the thing you'd love music movies whatever seeing people seeing things that really stood out and helped get you into whatever it is that you love. It's just part of who we are. Wow, cool. Knowing that Roger has extensive collections of from the various series he's competed in. He has IndyCars galore. Not only collections, but restorations. I mean, there's that's a big part of Roger and who he is. So... Sadly, of the big priority items, I would say this is not going to reach that list, Joshua. I'm confident, though, and I will make sure that I continue to plant this bug in his ear that when IndyCar shows up at the majority of its events, right? some might be a little bit of a challenge for whatever reason. Could be a packed schedule, one, maybe one that has IMSA, Stadium Super Trucks, Global MX-5 Cup, the little Mazda cars and such. Could be some where it doesn't really work out. Could be some where, you know, in a, there's a region that isn't exactly populated with a lot of vintage indie cars to draw from. Realize that it's not going to be something that, from a reality standpoint, is going to be married. Every race we go to, there's going to be a vintage component. At least not right away. But I think this just needs to become a reality. It, it, it truly does. It needs to happen because it's going to help put more people in the grandstands. 
and it's just going to foster more love and passion for IndyCar. Another thing, too, which you mentioned here, or I don't know if you mentioned it, but another aspect of this, too, Joshua, is so I attend a number of vintage races per year, have always loved vintage race cars. The IndyCar angle is the rarity here in the U.S. You go to most events, you don't find them. And there's a variety of reasons why. Sometimes the things are just too fast, the more modern versions. Uh, Often the biggest issue is there aren't enough to warrant a run group of their own. So that's, that's led to a pretty big void where when you do have a vintage indie registry, it's just loved because folks, oh my goodness, we don't get to see these. If you go to the Rolex Monterey Motorsports Reunion, a.k.a. the Historics that's been around forever, you don't see indie cars. They're just not there. If you do... It's a 1912 something or other, right? And it's an IndyCar. I mean, heck, it's one of the the original, the thing that made IndyCar, IndyCar. And so that I love. You might find a couple of Millers from 1930, whatever. Again, I just sit there and drool and stare and look at the amazing creation in front of me. But if we're talking roadsters, we're talking... The rear engine revolution. If we're talking the jalopy era, anything after anything post World War II, you just tend to have a big void of those cars being incorporated into vintage events. So, this also would address something pretty significant. For IndyCar fans who also love vintage racing and maybe turn out at a few events each year, they're not seeing them at specialized vintage events. So IndyCar being the one to really take the lead, maybe they work with Vintage Indy Registry, maybe they work with whomever. IndyCar taking the lead to incorporate its past into its present, I think it'd be huge. I've been saying the same thing about IMSA for a good while now. Hey, <laughs> You know what made IMSA so popular? It's past, not its present. Be smart. There's tons compared to vintage IndyCars. You go to any vintage event and it seems like half of what you see carries an old IMSA sticker on it. GT, GTP, GTO, GTU. Some of the development series as well world sports cars, you name it. I don't know why IMSA has not done the easy thing. The heck with having a find an organization. Good Lord, every vintage organization is loaded with team owners who have old IMSA cars. I I couldn't tell you why this hasn't become just a formal part of their business plan. So at least with this one, Joshua, what I like about it is I'm confident... RP and company will do something. Just would say we need to temper our expectations for the timeline of that happening. 
All right, we're going to scroll through here. I don't know how close we are to the end, but we'll find out. Uh, MP, this comes from Kiwi Cheong. Is a Penske takeover of IMS one of those secrets you've been sitting on? Already addressed that, but just throw it in here, figuring if you've hung on this long, why not reiterate the fact that, no, I was sitting on nothing. Also, what will happen to Doug Bowles? Covered that as well. I believe nothing. This is my favorite moment of him was storming over to a drunk fan and absolutely tearing him to pieces for heckling Jan Bikas. Although I think his fury could be attributed to his misconception the guy was heckling the yellow shirts, actually, in Gasoline Alley. Well, heckling Jan Bikas is one of life's funnier things. Jan's actually a super good guy. Um, just not someone primed for reacting to such things. Um, Jan's a linear person. And so throwing nonlinear things at him elicits curious facial expressions. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. We're going to go to Paul Trahan. Says, I have great news, MP. The numbers are in. Driven 2 is an international smash hit, surpassing the original and breaking records all over the place. Hollywood is now blowing up your phone. You have a hot franchise, and Driven 3 needs to be made now. What happens? Driven 1 had memorable cameos such as Tony Kanon sleeping on his bus, JPM tying his shoes. What cameos can we expect for this one? Will you include yourself in a cameo, and what will you do? Well, first of all, thanks, Paul. I'm not sure how you've figured out this hot scoop, but yes, Hollywood has called. I have been asked to make Driven 3 happen since I already made Driven 2 happen, right, as I proposed a couple weeks ago, laid out the whole script, portions of the script. Wouldn't include myself in the cameo. Um, as a big fan of, of Spike Lee in the eighties and nineties, seeing him in his own movies. Uh, yeah, that didn't stand out too, too well for me. Same with uh, Quentin Tarantino. Every time I've seen him show up on screen in one of his films, I wince. So yeah, wouldn't, wouldn't want to do that here. Trying to think about what we would expect you know, because I'm not ready to roll out the script quite yet, but but I am willing to divulge some thoughts on the cameos for Driven 3. You know, I think we need to go Lost Linkage, right? Jason Priestley, once an IndyCar team co-owner, got to get Priestley back. Wasn't good when he tried to drive and almost broke himself in half in the old infinity pro series yeah you know nonetheless got to get him back cedric the entertainer right remember cet right remember his involvement with hvm got to get said got to get him back anyone remember david hasselhoff as a quote team owner didn't last very long but yep Got to get 
David Hasselhoff back in. That's the angle I'm going to work, right? Those who once had from, quote, Hollywood, even though I think just about everybody I mentioned has been booted out of Hollywood, got to get some of them back. Why? Well, if we're getting out to Driven 3, we're working in obscurity here, right, Paul? I mean, there, there's we've pulled in all the, the star quality we were really going to get in one and two. By now, yeah, we're not at the uh, Hobbs and Shaw mode. We're not in Fast and Furious 14 where it seems like each one gets bigger. Yeah, we're actually tapering down a little bit, right? I think I think this is where we're going. I'm not sure how many additional cameos we can get. I mean, what, Carmelo Anthony, probably? Mello? He was involved a little bit. He's not employed right now in the NBA, so I think we can get him. That's up to four cameos. Who else? Latrell Sprewell? He was kind of sort of involved through the 310 racing thing. Maybe we could get him so that we're up to five. What about a sixth? Who am I forgetting that kind of sort of flirted, kind of sort of had an involvement in IndyCar that's still alive? Maybe we actually just go with the most obvious one. David Letterman makes his big screen acting debut in Driven 3. I think that's it, right? Paul Schaefer is his crew chief. You do kind of a hologram, Larry Bud Melman. Somehow, I don't know what, maybe he's a strategist for Dave. Maybe we can get the old deli owners next to the studio, Sirajul and Muji Burr who were featured on Late Night with David Letterman many years ago. Don't tell me why I remember segments with Sarah Jewell and Muji Burr. Maybe they're still around. Maybe we can get them. I There's something here. I don't know if it's something good, but there's something here. If you have ideas for more obscure former IndyCar team co-owners, also knowing that many of these were probably Nothing more than ceremonial, but nonetheless, obscure IndyCar, ex-IndyCar team owners, barring Dave, who is an active team owner, but I do like the idea of Dave's big screen debut. Send those in. We're going to build out the script here. I can't tell you more. Hollywood has me under the non-disclosure agreement, but I think there's something here we can work on. Going to go to Ryan Terpstra says, MP, any truth to the rumor that the Chalice of Excellence is being considered as a replacement for the Borg Warner Trophy now that Penske owns the series? Yes, that is actually, just telling you all, look for a press release tomorrow morning. That is going to be a formal announcement. I believe what is going to happen is they're actually going to melt down the Borg Warner Trophy and turn that into 
the base for the chalice of excellence. But what is the base? Is it just a little square something to put beneath it? No. Again, uh, I'm leaking this early. No, this is going to anger a lot of people at IndyCar. I don't care. Which you're going to read about tomorrow, the Borg Warner Trophy and the Astor Cup. They need all the metal they can get. It's going to be melted down into a Game of Thrones style throne, which is the base for the Chalice of Excellence. You would expect nothing less for something featuring dragons curling over the goblet. That is the Chalice of Excellence. I think we're getting vaguely towards the end. We're going to go to Emerson D'Agostino. Hey, Emerson. MP, first time sending in a question, but I've listening, been listening for at least a year and a half now. Well, thanks, man. Several months ago, you said that there was some big news that when the embargoes lifted, I've known for at least six months. Was this a sale of IMS or John Doonan becoming president at IMSA? I know I covered this off a little bit earlier, but thankfully I've gotten to this direct question. Yes, that was the uh, the IMSA presidency. It says, also, I know how redundancies such as hashtag me personally, front splitter, and rear diffuser drive you nuts. But I found a car that has a front diffuser. It was the ill-fated Nissan GT-RLM Nismo LMP1 from 2015. Godspeed to you and your wife. Yeah, there are actually a couple of prototypes heck there's even some gt cars back in the day uh, that have diffuser like extensions coming off the back of the splitter every splitter of notoriety has something that is diffuser ish but not a true diffuser it's a one piece interconnected device that is the splitter Diffuser itself, the back of the car, single item, single purpose. No confusing that it does not exist anywhere else on the car. So, yes, having seen the uh, Nissan, hey, Zach Brown's on the phone. I'm going to hit pause. I'll be back in a minute. Actually, when I come back, I'm going to go to a different question. All right, almost nine hours later. (laughs) It's, uh, what is it, 7.18 p.m.? After the call there with Zach. All right. Going to get into the last (laughs) couple of questions here. Oh, Lord. I don't even know. I don't even remember. Do I remember what we discussed? Maybe. (sighs) You know, I appreciate you all. I really do. I hope you understand that when it comes to the work that I do for my clients, whether it's the videos, the written stuff, even the guest shows here on my podcast keeping in mind this is mine no one owns it but me this isn't done for clients although my clients do often use what we do here on the podcast this is mine Uh, the interview shows i was trying to professionally and you know have them conform to some level of standards you know the listener q a as you've probably figured out if you've listened to any of them i make zero attempt to polish this turd <laughs> ah, it just it it in the finest 
use of Juan Montoya's number one phrase, it is what it is. And I don't know, should I keep apologizing for it? Or should I actually say, you're welcome? Huh? Anybody could do a high-quality job of things, right? It takes real talent to do half-ass stuff. (sighs) Anyways. Uh, All right, we're going to get to the last couple of questions. I believe this is now my fourth attempt to finish this. I don't know if I have a fifth. Uh, Let's see. Do-do-do-do-do-do. Where are we going to go? We're going to go to Philip Schmitz. Hey, Philip. Uh... Marshall, a couple weeks ago, you talked about what you would do if you wrote the script Driven 2. You mentioned that one of the drivers would be from the W Series. Got me to thinking on what your thoughts or opinions are on Jamie Chadwick for the future. This referring to Jamie, who did super extra, extra well to win the championship there. Coming back, uh, which is a pretty interesting decision by the series to do that. I... I'm glad that some of the women who might not have been known gained recognition through participating in the W series. But I would say that Jamie and Alice Powell in particular were known as being talented beforehand. Where I would say in the context of this show, which is IndyCar, where there could be Something, a question, possibly, of, well, so the women that did the best in the inaugural season or the second, the upcoming season, or whatever season, would they be drivers that IndyCar team owners considered? I would say absolutely not. And that's for the very simple premise of to value talent you need to see it removed from isolation. And that's what the W Series is. It is not the 20 best drivers at wherever the W Series falls on the racing ladder. It's 20 women that have been chosen to compete against one another. It would be no different than if 20 men were chosen to compete in a series. You might have some that really stood out as exceptionally strong. But if the main thing is beating other men who are just there because they're men and have shown some aptitude, but have yet to prove themselves in other series, it's hard to say, aha, well, in order to win that championship or be a front runner there, you are an absolute badass. That's just, that's the flaw in the W series. Does that mean that Chadwick or Powell or whomever would not be capable of running mid-pack or even up front in IndyCar? No. Again, they could absolutely be future champions. The thing that IndyCar team owners don't have is the context to understand that. And that's why seeing Jamie come over and do some Indy Lights races, for example. See how she compares to some of the established names. That's the process. It's not a, I mean, that's, that's how most things work in sport. Who's the most talented? Well, put them in a competitive setting where you can compare. 
and find out. And it's just that simple thing, that simple premise is the one thing that the W Series, unfortunately, does not offer. So if I'm a team owner wondering, hmm, do we have some women here that we need to consider because they're just so freaking good? That's that's the flaw. I don't know what the workaround is unless we do see some of the finer women showing that form in the W Series are able to then do something Again, just in this IndyCar construct, to do something to give team owners a reason to go, and that's why we need to have her. If we go back to Simona Di Silvestro, she came within a whisker of winning the Atlantic Championship. She was beaten up on some serious badasses in a team. She's driving for a team that was extremely good, but also little bit cash strapped as well and so that only amplified what she was able to do so just in a free competition format she stood out as a holy crap gotta seriously consider this woman for some opportunities i hope truly hope that the women who show front running pace and results in the w series are able to then spin that out into that free competition type dynamic so IndyCar team owners could hopefully pay attention and extend an invite to do a test somewhere to get this thing moving. Let's see. Christian Denevsky, by the way, thank you. I got to your note here. You had the opportunity to fire a question at one Mr. Tony George to get him on your podcast, talk about the split. Why did you let your opportunity escape you? Again, man, uh, just eternal, eternal apologies there. Uh, Ryan Chirpstra for MP. Do you think having Penske behind the series will help get that major team from Europe to the grid? Could they perhaps use the services of a veteran driver, say one mayor of Hinchtown? I don't believe that Roger's acquisition will change anything about that team's interest in coming over it was already very solid beforehand and there are very strong business reasons for them wanting to come over i have not told the mayor about the name of that team or which indycar team they are discussing the possibility of doing an entry with but I have conveyed directly to the mayor that there could be a seat in need of a full-time veteran driver if this comes to pass. Also noting that it might not be a 2020 thing. might be more of a 2021 thing if it happens at all. Uh-huh. Bob Fay, thanks again for always saying, sending in kind things here. Bob says, hoping things are progressing well at home. I cannot talk tonight. I'm just going to keep going. Sorry. This isn't really a question, more an observation, or maybe even a public service announcement. says, I couldn't resist the subscription deal that Racer had running during the IndyCar season finale, the print and digital editions together for around 35 bucks. I received my first issue a couple weeks ago. The technology issue 
with a head-on view of the arrow screen on Scott Dixon's machine. I wrote that, by the way. I grabbed the subscription primarily for the digital version, so I dropped the print version on my coffee table next to my laptop and have spied that view on the arrow screen every morning for the past two weeks. So this morning, I picked the print version up and started thumbing through it, and the first thing that came to mind when I saw an Indy Pro 2000 car in an Indy car with no arrow screen was, shit, that looks so dangerous. I then realized that I finally got it, the reason why it's there, and also realized that I was also used to seeing the arrow screen on the car just by subconsciously looking at a photo of it daily. So maybe a tip for the most reluctant of listeners here to get past the changes and looks of the car. By the way, I'm so happy to see the Road to Indy ladder. Follow IndyCar by installing the AFP and hope development for a similar arrow screen there progresses on. Thanks for the excellent podcast, sir. You are most welcome if and when my lips work. And I can spit words out of my face. Uh-huh. Where are we going? I feel like we're almost there. I feel like we're almost there. All right. Final question. Believe it or not. Nathan Cook. I think I just mangled your last name. You've told me how to pronounce it and I've forgotten. Coke, Cook. Just Nathan. I'm sorry, man. I'm a lost cause in this regard. Final question goes to you, pal. He says, Marshall, let's pretend you're in charge of casting a season of Survivor using IndyCar drivers and team owners. Who do you cast? Where does the season take place? And who do you think would win? Oh, yes. Oh, I love these. These are my favorites. So I watched the first season of Survivor. Whatever year that was, it feels like a lifetime ago. So... And I think I might have watched the second and third season. So I feel vaguely qualified to help here. All right. So we are casting a new season of Survivor, IndyCar drivers and team owners. Where does it take place? Hmm. I would say... boy where does this take place there has to be there has to be something that is uniquely indie car that is strange that we could work from where would this be i'm going to say sonoma why sonoma well here's here's the thought process Yes, it's wine country. There are grapes nearby that could be harvested. Eh, they're not always ripe. There's sheep. We know that the track uses sheep to actually go around and, and tend to the shrubbery and whatnot. So if you're fast enough, potentially there's some wool available to keep yourself warm. Would say that for those who remember test session at Sears Point, Sonoma Raceway, years ago, that was delayed due to the sheep having gotten out onto the track instead of staying in the kind of hillside areas, uh, and they crapped all over the place. And the track was super slick with 
manure. Well, again, potentially there's there's manure here from the sheep that could be used to grow something. I'm not sure what, but something. There's water. There is on the rise coming out of turn four, going turn five, just as you crest the hill, looking to go through the left hand or the carousel. On the right, there's a, not giant, but there's a body of water there. That's known because in the 1980s, a friend of a friend went off on the right in their Datsun 510. I think it was uh, SCCA GT4 class and somehow got up there, up over the hill to the right and into this little, it's a, it's a pond. Pond that you would have to say is about chest high. We know this because there was a fantastic photo of the driver, my friend's friend, standing in the little pond slash mini lake thing with his car, with its roof just barely above water and him standing, basically posing on the car uh, because what else do you do? So there is there's something you could swim in. I don't know if it's gray water. I'm not sure if this is, you know, drinkable so much. But there's something. So we have the basic concept here of Survivor Sears Point. We've kind of sort of got a way for them to stay warm. We have at least the good fertilizer and soil, right, to grow food. Okay. We have water, something. Again, maybe bathe. At least they wouldn't be super funky. Potentially, if they could come up with a way to start a fire, uh, you know, you could possibly boil off the bad stuff. You have some options there. So, and if we're thinking, well, how do you start a fire? Well, again, assuming that we wouldn't let them into the race shops there, I can tell you from experience, there are many old, old barrels of fuel sitting around. Uh, I just have to believe some of them are smart enough to figure out how to make sparks how to uh, set things on fire. So just in this general, I think we got something. I think we got something here. Not totally sure, but I think we might, Nathan. The drivers, though, and the team owners, I think, yeah. So this is where things get a little bit interesting. If we had to pick from the drivers, that's going to be the easy part. The hard part, I think, is going to be the team owners. We're not picking anyone from AJ Foyt Racing. Uh, I don't really think we're picking anyone from Andretti Autosport or Aero McLaren SP. Mike Shank is the first one that comes to mind where, granted, he's going to need beers, right? His whole reward system, any challenges, it's a food challenge. It's a shelf, no, beer. Shank's all about the beer. So, but he, he he's hearty. Shank is a roll-up-his-sleeves kind of guy. The least prima donna of all so i i can see that for sure i'm not sure on the ganassi side uh the coin side no we're not i mean granted is there some sort of challenge where dale could get the boy scouts come out and kind of help you know that might be something but yeah not really seeing dale out in the woods uh ed carpenter racing might be yeah all right i could probably see ed ed seems like uh, he's survivor-ish. 
Hunkos Racing? Yeah, actually, I think Ricardo, you know, that's a self-made man right there. Uh, I think that man could do it for sure. Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan? Uh, uh, you know, there's a lot of a lot of wine consumption there. They'd want to be there just to try and, you know, see what they could get out of the region for free uh, from a drinking standpoint. But, uh, and then there's Team Penske yet again. Uh, just team ownership. I, I think, honestly... If there was any mandates that it had to be team owner and a driver, those are all the pairings, right? That's how we came up with the cast. One team owner, one driver. Man, uh, I think almost all the failures, almost all the getting voted off the island. Woo! It's going to come to the team owner sucking, Nathan. Honestly, just they would actually be scheming to see how they could get out. Like, just <laughs> intentionally losing, intentionally sabotaging others, not for personal gain, but just so they could be hated and voted off. Like that, uh, you know, I just, again, t- let's be honest. These are folks who want to go to the uh, the little luxury I got voted off barge or whatever it might be. Um, they're, they're, trust me, this would be one of the saddest seasons of survivor ever because almost every single team owner would be in brutal competition with one another, one another to see who could get photoed off first in the fastest. So yeah, there's that part among the drivers. See, that's actually where I think we got a lot of drivers who actually would do okay. New Garden, I'm just looking, you know, first to whatever in the, the standings from 2019. All right, I might have to take that back. New Garden, not a chance. He, he, I love him, but no. Pagano, <laughs> no. Rossi, I, I don't know. He's He's single-minded enough to where I can't tell you if he has any survivor skills, but... The guy just does not seem to have a quit button within him. I didn't watch the amazing race when they were on it, so I could be totally wrong. I have no idea how he worked in that uh, reality show. But yeah, Rossi does seem that no matter what, he would actually fight super hard. Even if Michael was just wanting to pack it in, he would actually do his best to keep them there. Dixon, he's a Kiwi, right? He, you know, kind of grew up survivor style. So, although it's been a while since he's had to kind of be that guy, right? You know, he's made some good money. He's got a nice family. You know, they got horses. Uh, you know, I mean, uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm, I'm not sure if Dixie's been in touch with that guy uh, that he once was. So I'm not sure about that. Ganassi, come on now. Come on now. Ganassi, Ganassi would sneak out. He would have someone bring his helicopter just over the mountain, over behind the mountain there to pick him up. He'd sneak out for sure. Uh, Power, all right. I don't know if he has survival skills, but he's punchy enough to where I feel like he'd be there for a good while. RP, though, might buy CBS just to shut down Survivor so he could get back to work. So that might not work out so well. Um... Rosenquist, Swede, he's Swedish. 
the, just I think there's some built-in survivability there, so he might actually do well. But again, you know, Ganassi's a liability. Colton Herta. My concern is that that boy doesn't have much meat on his bones, so I don't know. Um, I don't know. Hunter Ray actually stands out as probably the first. I'm looking through the other drivers. Yeah, I think Hunter Ray. Hunter Ray is the only one among the drivers where I say, okay, this guy for sure is going to be good. This guy is totally going to be good with this. Sato, not a chance. Graham Rahal, oh, that's going to be a mess right there. Oh, oh. Where's the electric? Where, where's the socket to plug in my espresso machine? No, that's not working. Bourdais? No. No. Seb would micromanage the entire process until Dale Coyne just quit. Uh, let's see. Santino? <laughs> ah, no. No. Just no. Uh, Piggott, all right, he, he he strikes me as someone who, you know, has probably gone camping once or twice. There might be something there. Uh, we're starting to get to slim pickings after this next person. Tony Kanon, just due to his Iron Man experience, I, I think he might do okay. Uh, or he'd probably have his man Benito Santos, you know, kind of do most of it for him. I'm not sure, but Tony's he, maybe P2 after Hunter Ray. Um, Erickson. I don't know. I know he's Swedish too, but uh, I don't know. Veach, actually, I I might be wrong. I think Veach might be P1 here. I I know he's one of the smallest guys, but he is the the outdoorsman of IndyCar. I think he would actually, yeah, I kind of got that wrong. I think Veach is P1. Hunter Ray is a close, close P2. And then Kanon, maybe a little bit distant third aj foyt's not going to be although i think he has a vineyard somewhere that's where aj is going to be all right you some bitch monkey nuts i'm going to be in sonoma you be at the raceway i'll be at my vineyard um mateus laced come on now ed jones i mean that 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 would be cruel i mean you know Ed just strikes me as a babe in the woods, right? I mean, or, or a baby walking into traffic. Come on now. We're not putting him outdoors, expecting him to survive. Uh, where do we, I mean, I, I guess, you know, after that, we got Max Chilton. No, 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 no. Max hires a body double to do this for him. That's what happens there. Uh, maybe one other one, and I don't know if he, if there's a background in it, but he's just, it's kind of his demeanor. Connor Daly, I think, would do well. He just kind of expects things to go wrong in life. So being in a situation that just kind of sucks, he, he, I don't think it would stand out as too bad. So, you know, he would probably just ride the sheep around. You know, I mean, that seems like a Connor Daly thing. He'd probably drink that water just without boiling it, right? Just like, eh, hey, whatever. These microorganisms, these quadruple death strains of God knows what viruses in it, eh, it'll make me stronger at some point. Once I, I stop puking out of my butt, eh, I'll be good. 
Yeah. I don't know. Uh, Nathan, I love the idea of IndyCar Survivor, but as I've worked through it here, oh, there's slim pickings. There, there's truly slim pickings. I think there's maybe five or six people total between all the team owners and all the full-time drivers who wouldn't just, you know, episode one. It'd be a two-episode season because <laughs> just about everybody would be out and quit or scheme to get out after the first episode and then you'd have the small amount of leftovers just there for pride or maybe they don't have much else to do during the off season so maybe there's another show give me another scene give me another setting we'll see what we can come up with still not sure about the sonoma part but uh, i between the sheep the sheep poop the non-potable water the grapes over the hill the fact that during the day it can get pretty warm and at night it can get really freaking cold um i think there might be something there not exactly sure but all right as always thanks for sending in everything this week if to the three of you who are left listening wake up you fell asleep this thing really did go on for three hours and with the hour and a half that i did in part one we didn't quite hit the 10 hours some of y'all thought jamie carr again please don't take the day off work but i do thank you for sending in all this stuff and yeah uh i think we're gonna have another fun episode next week there's some more news coming uh one team is going to confirm its plans tomorrow morning and i know that because i've already written the story and filed it and it's sitting there waiting to go and what else i don't know But I'll look forward to hearing from you all next week. And thank you, as always, to Cooper Tires, Justice Brothers, TorontoMotorsports.com, and Bell Racing Helmets USA. I am Marshall Pruitt. This is the Week in IndyCar and our listener Q&A episode, which I just want to tell you, and this is just genuine form of confirmation of how much you all rock. Looking here on Podbean, which is the host for my little podcast, obsession our listener q a the top 10 episodes from the last 30 days our listener q a's on that top 10 list are ranked number one number two and number 10 so if you realize that over the last 30 days we've only done four of them uh plus the regular guest episodes, my week in sports cars episodes, the catching up with episodes that I've done, the Greg Moore features, etc. cetera, uh, catching up with Pato and Oliver Askew, the one with uh, Penske and Miles, um, et cetera, et cetera. Um, the fact that while these vary in length, depending on the craziness of news each week, fact that our listener q a thing which is just whatever six weeks old maybe seven weeks old spinning that into a separate episode of its own uh the fact that this has become just by traffic one of the most popular things that we do each week thanks a lot Uh, it, it it makes it so much easier for me to spend time spend the extra time go into overtime if you want to call it that because I know that you all reciprocate and listen. It would be hard to do this if I knew that uh, by the numbers the audience wasn't there. And 
the final thing I'm going to mention because I just scrolled over it and it stands out as something that is hilarious. I want to say thank you to the four people in Iceland who have listened so far uh, this month. And whether you are in Iceland or you have your VPNs set to Iceland, I just want to say thanks because according to this, there's four of you and that's kind of quadruple crazy. So I'm going to shut up. It is 747 time to go get some dinner going for my lady. And I look forward to speaking with you all next week.